Welcome back, everybody, to the very Thanksgiving episode of The Feminine Critique. I'm Emily. I'm Christine. And Christine, are you thankful to be here right now? I am so thankful to be here. I didn't realize this was the Thanksgiving episode. Well, it's actually the Black Friday episode. <laughs> I, would, I would have worn my, um, my pilgrim shoes. Uh, we did that one year. We, uh, my sister had a friend coming over for Thanksgiving to spend it with us. And she told her and was very convincing about it that one of the things we do, our tradition, is we all dress up like pilgrims or Indians for Thanksgiving. Oh, you're the meanest. I know. And her, her, they were probably like, you know, 19 or so. And her friend, sure enough, made herself like a little like construction paper Indian headdress and came over in it and was then instantly made embarrassed. Well, absolutely, because you're a liar. Oh, well, I wasn't my idea, actually. Uh, but I supported it and did what I could to oh, well. it was put into action. Um, oh, yes, it, is, uh, it is the day after Thanksgiving. Did you go shopping today, Christine? Absolutely not. Nor did I, although <laughs> I was tempted because I was getting, I wasn't tempted to leave the house at all um, or the apartment, but I was getting, I get the, Am- I have the Amazon app of the deals. Did it tell you about all the wonderful things you can buy? Well, the thing was, I don't know if my app is just funky or what, because like everything would say unavailable or like already sold out. And the stuff that I get alerts for is so random because I'm registered just for like movies and TV and books. But I guess that mm-hmm. somehow like, a, a, you know, includes um, like a baby pouch thing that you can wear and walk around with. You're like, like a baby Bjorn, but a different one. Well, and, uh, maybe it's, if it's like that, like the special deal. Yeah, maybe. You like the, the, yeah. Yeah, but nothing really tempted me. The only thing I even thought about getting was Prometheus showed up there for eight. Ten bucks on Blu-ray. Was it Blu-ray? Because it didn't say. Uh, I clicked well, the bl- link. It didn't, it would not say what format it was in. Oh, I know that yesterday the blue was ten. Okay. And um, maybe the DVD was a different price, but I didn't see the DVD. I just saw the blue. Okay. And um, we'll, also- be, we'll be talking about that shortly. Oh, well, you know what? Let's just get right into that then. Last couple <laughs> films you've seen. Christine, tell me. Um, okay, well, I'll just do an, an abridged version. Um, I saw The Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. And I hated it. Interesting. That's the 2012. Speaking of Andrew Garfield, um, later we'll be discussing him further. Um, Andrew Garfield starring Spider-Man movie that was boring and a rehash and completely unnecessary. See, I have no desire to see it. I wasn't a fan of the Spider-Man movies. Um, (laughs) And I just have no desire to see what seems like a very similar approach to the material. Well, it's just basically the origin story again. And I get it. They're, they're They're going for a new audience. Um, they're going for these new Marvel kids that are like, oh, the Avengers. So they're rebooting Spider-Man for them. I get it. But it's it's another origin story, and I just had an origin story. And it's, I mean, I think I think Garfield's Spider-Man is a little bit better than Maguire's. Yeah, I never just, like Maguire's it, Spider-Man. It's, it's, very, it's very comic book. He does all these cute little puns, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm into that. But other than that, I was just like, is this over yet? I, I It's probably the most bored I've been during a Marvel movie. Okay. Um, oh god, since <laughs> Electro? I don't, I don't know. Um, I also saw Moonrise Kingdom. Oh, okay. What'd you think? I haven't seen it yet. I loved it. It was great. Oh, good. It was now, amazing. I just, I, so good. Now, was it um, Anderson in his Fantastic Mr. Fox quality, or was it, because you know how I feel about Darjeeling Limited. I despise the Darjeeling Limited. And I enjoy it, but yes. Okay. But if I despise Darjeeling Limited, but really like Tenenbaums and oh, Fox, you'll like. It. I think you'll like it. Okay, it's on I, my camera. I like. No, no, I like. I. I um, how did you follow on um, 
Life Aquatic. I actually have not seen it. I See, I wasn't a huge fan of that, but everything else I've liked. So I don't know. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was really sweet. No, you'll like it. The acting is really good, and it's funny. And, and Edward Norton is... Edward Norton is amazing in it. He's so good. I forgot how good he was. And then I was like, wow, he's an amazing actor. Yeah. And versatile. And Edward Norton actually has a lot of range and can do comedy really oh, well. Oh, my, yes. Then you will definitely enjoy this if you okay. have those feelings already. I know I you should I, see it just for that. Hey, man, I, support, I saw Death to Smoochie in the theater, and while I did not like it, I walked away thinking Edward Norton should do more yes. comedies because he is one. He should. He has, he has really good delivery. Um. So yeah, see it and let me know what you think. I will. And then the last thing I will mention, I'm trying to catch up on everything I missed in 2012, obviously. Okay. The last thing I will mention is Prometheus. Uh-huh. Um, now, have you seen Prometheus? I did. It was probably one of like five movies I saw in the theater this year yeah. because I'm old and grumpy and don't go to the theaters anymore. Shockingly, I did not see it in the theater, even though both Dylan and I wanted to see it, mm. and we did not see it. Um, I guess I'm kind of mad I didn't see it in the theater because I think it would have been attractive it's really pretty yeah um but and this could be because of where my expectations were but i enjoyed it oh i enjoyed the fuck out of it okay because and i was tweeting about it as i was watching it and like people like are like hardcore shitting on that movie like i get it there are plot holes i had some issues most of them helmet based (laughs) like (laughs) most of them helmet based i get it but like Mother of fuck, that movie was a good time. I had so much fun with it. And it it's two hours, it zipped by. I didn't it did, feel it like did. it flew. I didn't I didn't feel like it was dragging. It, nope. There was like twenty eight minutes left at one point and I'm like, okay, when is this gonna start to suck? Like I was waiting for it to start to suck. But at any point you're like, okay, well, I don't know, maybe there'll be alien thingies, or maybe there'll be, you know, a, a self-imposed imbor- abortion, or or maybe there'll be the giant monster thingies again. I don't know, but I'm in it. I loved it. I, I mean, I knew, again, because I'm not, I, I like Alien a lot. I like the Alien series. But mm-hmm. I, I don't have the, I think, personal um, yep. attachment to it. I didn't grow up with them. I watched them for the first time when I was like 18 or so. So I, I, I'm in a very movies. similar boat. Okay. Yes. I, I don't know if that affects it, maybe. Cause, and especially if, you know, um, maybe people who are like, say, 10, 15 years older than us who experienced alien and aliens like in the theater or for the, you know, when it, when it was still kind of this big surprise, Mm -hmm. I can understand. Yeah. If you're going into this movie expecting a life changer, it's the way alien was. It's, it's going to be, that's, that's exactly what I said after I watched it. I said, if you thought this was going to be like game changing, earth shattering sci-fi, then you would be very disappointed because there it's not without its flaws. It's, mm. it's obviously flawed. Sure. I had afterwards talking about it. I was like, yes, flaw. Yes. This made no sense. <laughs> yes, yes. I agree to that. Sure. Let's not talk about that because it, it, I don't have an answer for you, but did I enjoy it while I was watching it? Yes. Was and, Charlene uh, Theron great? Yes. Oh, yeah. Was Idris Elba in it? Yes. There you go. Three extra points for him just being just showing up that day. Extra points for me. Uh, but also, I mean, the thing about Prometheus, which I have said about, I can't remember the other movie I, I felt this way about recently. It didn't have to be that ambitious. It could have just, it could have been a very tried, um, you know, remake. It could have been a remake. It could have been a pre, an actual prequel. 
And it could have just been an action movie or just a horror movie. And it wasn't. It was still Ridley Scott throwing out these ideas of like, hmm. well, let's maybe gods hate us so much or blah, blah, blah. And I just, I appreciate that he decided to ask big questions in a summer blockbuster movie and still make it a summer blockbuster that was fun to watch. Surprising. I mean, a lot of points of the movie, you don't know where it's going. And mm-hmm. something different. It's as much as you can complain about it. It's not like anything else you've seen. So that's true. And how how excited it. are you um, about a sequel with um, the Dragon Tattoo and Fassbender? Because I'm in it. Let's I, go. I'm signed up. I, I put, yeah. put Michael Fassbender's head in a bag and let's go. I was distracted um, for the first half of the movie though by uh, how how much handsome. That- he is? Well, no, 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 no that's no, not no, where you were no, going with that. All right. I, I will not please, he, please. He's don't. so good. He, he, he walks away with that movie. But how much the boyfriend scientist um, dude, because he was kind of a dude. <gasps> what are you going to say? Are you going to say exactly what I said? I'm Go. Gonna, are you going let, to, let's, let's, okay, what celebrity <laughs> did he remind you of? On the counter- Tom, Hardy. Tom Hardy. You didn't jump the gun. I said the counter three. <laughs> 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 an hour behind us. I was so excited that I just screamed. I'm sorry. Watching it, I'm like, I didn't know Tom Hardy was in this movie. Dude, point, I'm like, That's right? Tom he makes t- he makes Tom Hardy faces. He um, so much like Tom Hardy. But that's the guy. I can't think of the actor's name, and I'm not going to look it up. But that guy, he was in that awful um, devil movie. The I'm in the elevator with the devil. The movie called The Devil. Wasn't it called The Devil? No, a devil. Right? Wasn't that what so. it's called? Like, hey, look at me. I'm in an elevator with a devil. Yeah, he was. Yes. He was in that devil, and then the the subtitle on the poster was, "Hey, look at me! I'm in an elevator with the devil." Yeah, guess which one is the devil? But that was the tagline. It's the guy guy that kind of looks like Tom Hardy. Yeah, but no, he wasn't the devil. Let's not give away spoilers on that movie, Emily. But he was not the devil. Never seen it, although I think I asked you to tell me the ending, and you did. No, Uh, I did. My mom, my mom made me take her to the theater to see it. Let's not talk about that. That's but yeah, he looked he looked like Tom Hardy. Anyways, I like Prometheus is the moral of the story. <laughs> so now I'll shut up. <laughs> and you can go. Yeah, that's all that's worth mentioning. Okay. Um, I'm going to save the divisive one for last. Uh, I watched um, Something Wicked This Way Comes from 1983. Okay. I watched this movie knowing nothing. All I knew about it was it was based on Ray Bradbury and that it was an, an, an 80s Disney movie that most people say is not a Disney movie at all. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Brandon, my boyfriend, had rented it from Netflix. And it was a fascinating film-watching experience because I'm watching this movie and I'm so into it because I had no idea what it was going to be about. And I was just sucked in. The movie ends and the ending's kind of a mess, but it... Regard, like the whole thing, I was just, I was in it. And I look at him and he's like, well, that was terrible. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> I loved it. It was Jason Robards and a, y- a very young and kind of sexy Jonathan Price. Hmm. Uh, uh, do you know anything about it? I've read the book. I don't, I've never okay. seen the movie. I'm going to read the book now. It made me want to. It's so much fun. I love that book. It's I've read so it like three times. Cool. I have it. I'm looking at it right now, actually. Okay. It's, uh, Ray Bradbury wrote the screenplay and you can tell immediately that it, this yeah. was written by a novelist. It has that. The language in the movie is so good, mm. and it's so great to hear people like Jason Robards and Jonathan Price deliver good dialogue like that. And it's it's really it's one of those horror movies you can show to kids, um, yeah. thinking like, oh, it's a PG movie, and then they might it's it's appropriate technically, but you know they're going to have nightmares and grow up scarred, oh, afraid of lovely. Things. It was really I really enjoyed it. I'm curious if if others uh, where people fall on it, but mm. it was just a really pleasant surprise for me and. Jason Robards was so good. 
Um, I will no, I'll actively seek it out now because yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I've read the books, like I said, like three times, I've ne- but I've never really I, went looking for the movie. I think you, I mean, you might feel as I did that it, the, you know, the last 15 minutes, you can tell that they couldn't decide what to do and probably kept changing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so much else good, but the dialogue is so good. The, the adult performance, I mean, the, they're, yeah, you have kid actors and they're not great. But the adult performances, you can just tell that, like, Jason Robards is just doing, like, he actually, you can tell that he appreciates the script and is giving it his all. And you have a lot of just interesting relationships in there. And it's just, it's a dark, dark movie, man. And I recommend it. All right. Uh, I watched a movie called Don't Deliver Us From Evil. Do you know hmm. It, I know. Is it on instant? No, it's not. Um. I What I do with Netflix is anything that's a long wait, I tend to just bump up to the top knowing that two things. Eventually it'll come. Eventually it will come. And little trick, people. I don't know if you know this. Sometimes if your top picks are very long waits, you'll randomly get an email from Netflix saying, we are sorry that we could not deliver, don't deliver us from evil in a timely manner to, you know, so we have sent you the next movie on your queue and we'll deliver this movie next. And you'll get basically get an extra rental. They do it sometimes. Ooh. It happens every once in a while. It's amazing. Um, so I rented uh, this one. It's a 1971, I think. French film. Very French. Um, and it looks very exploitation-y. It was, I think mm-hmm. the DVD company was Mondo Macabre who put out a lot of stuff like that. Except it's, it's not. It's very, um, it's about these, you know, two girls who are in Catholic school who decide to, like, marry Satan and be evil but really, it's it's based on the same um, crime as Heavenly Creatures with Kate Winslet. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? So okay, we, that's probably that's probably why I've heard yeah, of it. That makes sense. Yeah, if you know anything about Heavenly Creatures, it's the there's, same story. There's an article in Paris Cinema about it, oh, and I'm oh. sure that movie is referenced. It, it most likely is because I think there, uh, oddly enough, as fascinating as that story is, I don't think there have been many films made of it. And this one, the two mm-hmm. lead girls are great. They're they look very young, but they're of age, which is good because they're there's. Um, boobs and stuff um <laughs> like how you got really like okay there's boobs you know, stuff. there's boobs but they're over eight so okay um but it's it was just, it's a very strange film and has a and isn't really a horror film it kind of is i think it's probably advertised as one but it's not um but it's just it's dark it's kind of kind of makes you feel very dirty and then it has the greatest finale i've ever seen and i can't give it away but the ending is amazing Hmm. All right. All right. Uh, I watch Maximum Overdrive because it had oh. been like six months since I'd last watched it. I know. You need to watch it at least four times a year, and right? I die if I don't watch it four times a year. Like, I know <laughs> Every, When the seasons change, it's time to watch Maximum My skin starts turning gray and my hair starts falling out. And I know if I don't put it in the DVD player, I will go. Um, have you, you've, you're a fan, right? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it in probably like five years, though. Oh, it gets better. I don't know how I'm still every breathing. Time, every time it gets better. That is oh, amazing. it's amazing. I love that. You I love that movie. Bless each day, girl. Uh, <laughs> and the last movie I think we should talk about is 1980-whatever's Tron. Well, I, you broke up right when you said that. <laughs> what did you say? What uh, movie did Tron, you say? Tron. 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 Okay. I heard 1982. <laughs> Tron. Well, because I'm to talk about it because I, I don't know where you fall. Um, I, uh, uh, Tron's not, Tron's not my thing. It's not my movie. It's Dylan's movie. 
for those gentle listeners who don't know, Dylan is my significant other and also works works Paris Cinema. That's not even a sentence. <laughs> um, but he, that's his movie. You know how like we grew up watching Labyrinth. Okay, that's like that's he grew. Boy, he grew up. What's a boy's labyrinth? He, I, well, it's that boy's labyrinth. I don't know. He, he grew up watching Tron, and I actually didn't see Tron until he made me watch it. So four years ago, five years ago, and like I was into it. I was like, wow, I'm enjoying this much more than I expected. Huh. So I mean, it's not it's not amongst my favorite films, but because I didn't have a relationship with it growing up, and might be if I did, but um, I know you didn't like it. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I I will I would not fault the visuals. The visuals are incredible. It apparently without Tron, we may never have had Pixar and a lot of the, and John Lasseter may have never been inspired to make movies. There you uh, go. I get that it's visually, it's awesome. It's really neat. It just, I could not believe how it was like they tried. It's like they knew that they had the kind of visuals that little boys would just die for. So then they decided how boring a film can we make <laughs> using these visuals? I just couldn't get over. I'm like, I don't really know what's happening. And I don't think I care about the fact that I don't know what's happening. It just was so dull. All right. Fun to watch. I mean, if if it was on mute and I like, gosh, if I, I, I could have like turned on, I don't know, any like comedians, uh, like Louis CK's last show, turn that on so that it was his audio over Tron. And I would have been very happy. Well, that's a ringing endorsement. Did you see the Did you see the new one? Atonement and put it over drawn. No, let's not even let's not talk about that. Um, did you see Did you see the new one? I did not. No, because I hadn't seen this one. I'd I'd never seen Tron. Tron. Oh, well, was out of I, you, a long time. I don't think you need to see to see like the first the story, one. It seemed like the way they were advertising it was like he was Jeff Bridges' son. So the whole movie. Well, like, yeah. so who does Jeff Bridges but, hook up with? He's got to have a kid at some point in this. But movie, they right? but they um they explain it. You don't need to. I mean, that movie I guess is a thing. Did you uh, like the remake? Or the right, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't really. I don't really remember it, <laughs> so I didn't have much of an opinion. I, see, and, I had a chip on my shoulder about it because every movie I saw, they were advertising that trailer, yeah, and it was going to be yeah. really tiresome. That's why yeah. I almost never saw Shutter Island because Shutter Island's release date got pushed back twice, and for about a year and a half, I was all you ever trailers. saw. <laughs> and of course, it always started with like. Get a hold of yourself, Teddy. So it was just, all I could think of was Leonardo DiCaprio does an annoying Boston accent in this movie. And it's actually quite a good movie. But I love that movie. I, I just got to fight with somebody about it today. I would, I would defend that movie. They were like, that piece of shit? And I was like, I'm sorry. I Put on the brakes. What are you talking about? I'm sure I look good. It just <laughs> I liked it. to stop advertising itself. No, oh, well, there you go. Anyway. Um, anyway. So those were our movies, right? Did you have anything else to add? Or we're good? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, should we get into our coffee talk rant, which is yeah, well, very directly... Our coffee... Yeah, it is, but did we say what we're covering this week? We totally did not. Hey, guess what we're covering this week, everybody? Uh, <laughs> it's Kira Knightley Appreciation it's Week. Kira Knightley Appreciation Week. We have a young our actress day. who is not appreciated enough, we both think. Oh, so in our, in our little rant, we'll be discussing why she may not be appreciated, but the movies we decided to cover... And this, the saddest show ever, this is, the is uh, of all time. 2007? 2007. 2007's Atonement and 2010's Never Let Me Go. They are both fun Just, for the whole family. Maybe, maybe we'll, you know, smell some lavender, calm down, eat some chocolate. Have some get your, 
Yeah, get your endorphins up. It's gonna be it's gonna be a rough time. You know, here's something that I'll say immediately right off the bat because I don't want people hearing this and being like, "Oh, it's a chick show." Fuck both that. Of these movies are not chick flicks at all. No, no, they they both their lead characters in both of them are women, uh, and you know the they're both of them are love stories. But don't you don't you know that the second you have a, a, a lead character as a woman, it, it automatically only appeals to women. That's the rule, right? I know. I'm just. I, I like to live on the edge and break the rules, Christine. I'm wild like that. <laughs> but, and both of them are love stories. However, um, both of them, and I think especially Atonement, the love story is not necessarily the main aspect of the film oh, by any means. absolutely not. No. Um, and we'll, I'm, like, I'm so eager to talk about it. But yeah, with Atonement mm-hmm. in particular, I think a lot of people were turned off of it thinking it was just a love story Oscar oh, bait was, period film. Oh, it was Oscar beat, exactly, Oscar bait period film with a sappy love story uh-huh. and Kira Knightley wearing a green dress. Yep. And who the fuck wants to watch this movie with everybody in accents running around being upset about love? Uh-huh. And it's so totally not that movie. Oh, and God. We'll, we'll get to that. But first, Kira Knightley. Let's talk about Kira Knightley. Well, Emily, that's really funny because I didn't realize people hated Kira Knightley. So I didn't know what to say. What do I say? Why do they hate her? I don't know. So I Googled why do people hate Kira Knightley? <laughs> like, literally, I should take a screen grab of this and put it up. Um, the, answer, the answer may shock you. <laughs> um, is, apparent- it, is she actually like a noted baby killer or something? No, apparently everything I'm reading and, and this also every interview I've ever seen, which is a scant few, but she's always seems very nice and gracious. Mm-hmm. But um, what I am seeing is that it's mostly women that don't like her. It's because she's really skinny. And I, re- I am reading an article that says it is because she's really skinny. I found the best article on a site called Bitch Buzz. Ooh, I like the name of it. Called funny. Why Do Women Hate Kira Knightley? Why do women hate Keira Knightley is the name of this article. Um, And it basically just asks, why do people hate her? Women in general. In this article, it says, is it because she's thin? Mm -hmm. I I didn't know that was a thing. Do we hate people because they're thin now? Do you hate people because they're fat? It's basically the same thing. She can't help it. I think in part, and there's almost something to admire about the idea that I think people didn't like her being a sex symbol because she's so skinny. And I can appreciate that. It's the idea that like, oh, Kira Knightley, she's so gorgeous. Um, and I mean, I, th- I think she is beautiful. But I think that was something that turned people off was that, oh, they're holding her to say that she's the most beautiful woman and she's so skinny. And that's giving kids a bad body image. No, because A, I don't think Kira Knightley has ever... Um, you know, she is not, I'm trying to think of, a, of an example of um, somebody to compare her to. She is not a beauty queen. She is an actress. She is not, yes. you know, posing for... You know, if you, she's, she's one of those actresses... Oh, sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was waiting for you to finish. I thought, I thought for a minute our connection got lost. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no, did I lose Emily? Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, no, okay. Can you hear me? No. No, I oh no. No, I was just going to cut you off and say that she's mm-hmm. Oh, oh no, we have a lag. Crap. Okay, I'm going to stop the call. We're going to get back to this, folks. Hold on to your seats. Okay, so is it yeah, that she's hi. very skinny? <laughs> yes. Um now, yeah, I think she is very skinny and I can see why the idea that oh, she shouldn't be considered a, so sexy because it's going to give people a bad body image, blah blah blah. blah. 
But no, I agree. I think she's just always been skinny. I think that's her body type. Maybe you think she's you think she's happy running around like with no boobs and, and like all rib cage? She will say, "I am, you know, I wish I had boobs." Where she, you know, she says like, "I remember with King Arthur when that movie came out." And, like, she gave an interview where she was like, I find it hysterical that, yeah, look at the posters and look at how big they made my boobs. Look at me. I've got nothing here. So, you know, she's open about it. She does nudity, which I think Mm -hmm. is, like, in itself, like, she's not a, for being a young, very beautiful woman actress, um, she is not, um, not self-conscious. What's the word I'm looking for? Where she can look bad on movie, in film. And I think, especially when it comes to acting, she is is very willing and very good at playing unlikable characters. Yes. Not necessarily but villains. Not then, fun, scenery-chewing villains. Just women that are... No, 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 no. And I read something that actually said that, that saying that she gets typecast as, like, a bitchy woman, but I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's typecasting or if it's just... I mean... Well, it's... See, I think I also always defend her because I go back to The Phantom Menace. Because Keira Knightley is in The Phantom mm-hmm. Menace. She plays Natalie Portman's decoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, what I find so fascinating about that is, it, to me, Natalie Portman is just as bad, if not worse, than Hayden um, Christensen in the prequels. I yeah, absolutely. I think she has a terrible performance all around. And you can blame a lot. You can blame youth and everything else. But I think people are so quick to laugh at him. But I think she's just as bad. And what I always say is compare her performances in those movies to Keira Knightley's performances in the Pirates movies. Yeah. And Keira Knightley is, is good in them. She's, I mean, again, it's the, it's the worst role in the films in a way because it is, it is the, you know, female ingenue in a movie about pirates, which is naturally going to be the dullest part. Exactly. But Who she, wants to pay attention to her yeah, when but there's I think pirates running around? But like, spirit in those movies. And you... She gives as good a performance as as anybody could in those movies. And, you know, if she had been Padme, I think the Star Wars prequels would have been better because somebody would have cared. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I yeah. get very passionate about defending Keira Knightley because I, I, I think people are too quick to hate her because they think she is kind of a young uh, Hollywood starlet who gets by on her looks. And I don't think that's the case at all. But that... That's insane to me because as attractive as she is, I don't think she's like stereotypically attractive. Mm-hmm. She kind of has a weird face, like in a, in a good way. Some of the most attractive people have strange faces. She's not like, like bouncing around with this like gorgeous supermodel face. Mm-hmm. Like she's, she's a normal looking broad who happens to have like a really good bone structure. structure. Now, exactly. exactly. This, the, the other thing, and it, the other reason why women might hate her that I read was, quote, unquote, because she's actually touched James McAvoy and they haven't. Now, let me say something. If I could switch, if I could switch lives with someone, it might be Kira Knightley. Can we talk about the jacket? Hello, Adrian Brody sex scene. Dangerous method. Hello, Michael Fassbender sex scene. Keira Knightley is awesome. She has done awesome things, and she has had fake sex with a lot of awesome dudes. Did she have Good fake sex with Mickey Rourke in, in Domino? I cannot remember. Okay. It has been it has been a very long time. Let's say yes. Let's say that that is <laughs> so the, the most awesome thing ever. Why would you? Why would you hate? So- I mean, that's her fucking job. She's an actress because she gets to pretend to have sex with hot dudes. Good for her. If everybody could be so lucky. Well, I, I, you know, it's the same reason I never understood why women love Julia Roberts. 
I don't understand that at all. Like, I get, like, I mean, I've seen older Julia Roberts films where, like, Steel Magnolias, I think, is a great example of why, you know, Julia Roberts did have a certain spark to her. And, I mean, again, a pretty woman, but not necessarily, um, but again, like, a little odd. Uh, and in, but in Steel Magnolias, you can see, like, she does have this um, kind of charisma that makes her perfect in that role and everything else. But then, mm-hmm. you know, remember in the 80s and early 90s, like, every woman wanted Julia Roberts to be her best friend. And, and I never got that. And no. I think, but I guess there's something about Julia Roberts that... Um, it's not sends, threatening, sends it's accessible. Out, yeah, there's something accessible about her. And mm-hmm. I think Kira Knightley, and maybe part of it is she's British. Part of it is she's very bony. Um, that, and part of it is she doesn't... You know, when when she does not pick these open faced roles, that there's something about her that you feel like if you knew her, she would steal your boyfriend or something. I think she does not um, project friendliness or warmth, which I mean, she doesn't need you to be a good actress. What what movies do people want her to do? Like, do they want her to do like a version of Devil Wears Prada? I'm sorry that she she has interesting filmography like calm the fuck I, I Kira Knightley if you're listening I would hang out with you you seem so awesome I. yeah well, you know you know who who is friends with Kira Knightley Carrie Mulligan and I love Carrie Mulligan yes and we'll get to why we love her but this is a fun fact um they met making Pride and Prejudice and became really good friends and that's part of why Kira Knightley took Never Let Me Go Hmm. Well, thank you for taking that film, Karen Knightley, because you were amazing in it. And, there, and, some, and then this is the last... Again, has to be pretty cool. Well, yeah, she's awesome. She was in an episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> Just saying. The best episode of Doctor Who. But in this article, it also states someone who wrote... This article is referencing an article in The Guardian okay. that says, Hatred of Kira is like menstruation. All women share it. Weird. What? That is bizarre to me. What? I don't get, why would you spend so much time hating somebody? I just don't get it. And the idea, like, I'm trying to think of... Like, um, really, does she, does she, like, beat seals and we just haven't heard about it? <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example of, like, a woman, a female actress who um, I feel that way about or, like, most women feel that way about that I know of. And, I, I mean, right now I'm drawing a blank, but, like, I understand I, there are actresses who... Like, there, there was the old debate of, like, Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie and how women, like, and I think this is total bullshit, too, but I can see, like, the, the kind of reasoning behind it. Women like Jennifer Aniston because they identify with her, blah, blah, whereas, like, by, you know, men want to fuck uh, Angelina Jolie because it's the sexy, dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of, like, another female celebrity who breeds such hatred in the female population but I don't think a I don't think Kira Knightley does that, and b I well, don't apparently know she would. apparently overseas she does. Maybe it's because I mean maybe it's not so prevalent in America. I don't know. But the only actress that I really don't like is January Jones. But that's just me. Well, January I mean January Jones is I think pretty universally accepted to not be a good actress, but to mm. have been cast in the perfect role and the only role she that needs will to stop. Yes. yes, she needs to stop. Someone needs to tell her to stop. Well, she can only ever be Betty Draper because that role is the limit of her acting skills, I think. Well, well tell that to whoever decided to cast her as Emma Frost in oh X-Men God, First Class. the worst thing in that movie. Let's, let's, just, let's just say how that to this day breaks my heart because that's, that's one of my favorite characters and she just, that's wow. That's a great example of a uh, 
And there, there's a lot of them out there. Like a really good movie where one performance brings it down a star. And I think oh. she kind of does. She 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 does a little bit, but and but I wouldn't spend my time blogging about how much I hate her. Yeah, I, that's yeah. all. Again, so unless maybe she is killing baby seals. I don't know. I don't yes, know. Uh, if she came in here and like home invasion or stole my stuff, <laughs> then maybe I'd be she like home invasion to me. I would be a little pissed. Yeah. I like January Jones home invasion to me. I have some things to say about that. I might but... write a blog post then. Mm. Well. Anyways, people should look up this article. It's on Bitch Buzz. Can you put it just, on the Facebook group? Yeah, I will put it up there. It's Why Do Women Hate Kira Knightley, That's which funny. is such so fucking weird. I also saw it because when you when you Google a question, like Google Oh like at, I love articles. it like Oscar like no, no the thing that like answers your questions, like oh, Yahoo right. questions comes up. <laughs> and the the reason why most people gave on like like ignorant people that can't use proper grammar, um, is that she's not a good actress. And what movies are they watching her in? That's what I don't understand. I don't think they understand what a good actress is. Right. I don't think they get what the craft of acting, like when it's done well, what it looks like because I don't get they it. don't they don't know. But well, on that note, uh, do we want to go chronologically and start with atonement? I think we have to start with atonement, and I will explain why later. Okay. Now I have a plan for atonement because um. Oh God! What is it? Okay. Atonement uh, has a big spoiler. Yeah, I, I wanted to. I, I was thinking about this the earlier. The thing is, I think that we, uh, you can't, I don't think we can fully talk about Atonement if we don't talk about that, because that actually mm. is a really important factor to the film. It's very important. So why don't we talk about the film without the spoiler until mm. we decide we're going to go full force, and then I, I'm, I feel high tech. Uh, I'm going to pick up my phone that is in my hand right now. And I will turn the timer on, and I will time this how long... This is you being high-tech. And I'm telling you, I thought about this in the shower this morning. Uh, I will time how long our discussion is of atonement with the spoiler <laughs> in it, so that you know uh, if you want to see it without the spoiler, want to listen and then go to the next review, you know mm -hmm. um, how long we're going to spend doing that. I, I anticipate it being at least three hours, so... Well, seriously, because the spoiler in this case is such an important part of why I think this is a great film. Uh, spoiler alert to that. I really like this movie. Um, so why don't we get into it? Uh, I picked this movie. And yeah. it, uh, I saw it. I picked it because I think this is a uh, great movie that kind of got buried as, a, as being seeming to be a period drama romance Oscar bait film. Mm -hmm. uh, it came out 2007, which was the same Oscar year as There Will Be Blood and No Country for Old Men. So nobody was talking about Atonement when it came out. Uh, I saw it in the theaters and I really liked it. And it I found it quite moving. But then I went back to it a year, a couple years later and thought on second viewing that this is a masterful film that I didn't give enough credit to the first go around. Uh, so it was 2007, directed by Joe Wright, his second film after Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. uh, based on a novel by Ian McEwan. Uh, maybe that's how you say his name? I don't know. I think that's how you say it. Sure. So, Christine, without um, spoiling or crying, can you tell me what Atonement is about? Um, Atonement is about a stupid little lying bitch who ruins <laughs> lives. Yeah. Um, Atonement is... I'll, let, me, let me be real for a minute. A stupid little lying bitch who ruins lives. I like that. Um, Atonement... Um, this is going to be really difficult for me. Atonement is about, um, it's a, <laughs> oh 
god, it's about awful things that make me want to kill myself. No, Atonement is about um, two people who are in love and who really have a hard time, a hard go at it. Um, because of a stupid little lying bitch who ruins lives. No, it, it's it's it starts out very much like a will they won't they there's these things in our way you know we're in love starring Keira Knightley and James McAvoy who I will continuously gush over this entire movie so please if you don't want to listen to it be prepared it's going to happen um in it starts out very much like that but it turns into something completely different when I don't, like, again, I don't know how much plot to give away because I didn't know anything about this at all. And I think that aided in my viewing quite sure. a bit. Um, basically, it's just a very broken love story. And uh-huh. it's a it's a character study and how people deal with different things. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is going to be tough. Okay. Um, this is. Yeah, I mean, I think you you. Summed it up as best as one could. It's world. Uh, it starts. I didn't. Sum, I didn't sum it up well at all. But thank you for patting me on the back. <laughs> I am afraid to peel back the curtain. And if you follow me on Twitter, you will know. I am afraid that if I start talking about this too much, I will be reduced to a shuddering, sobbing mess. Because yesterday, Dylan asked me, "Well, why did it upset you too so much? What was it about?" And I started crying while telling him. So. <laughs> I'm going to try to, like, pace myself a little bit. So you just take the, okay. take the lead a little bit, and I'll jump in. Okay, so I'm going to start with the, in Christine's words, stupid lying little bitch okay. uh, named uh, Briny. Briny is played by three actresses throughout the film. Uh, and starting mm-hmm. off as a, a with Sayorsi Seor, Ronan, who would... The little girl from Hannah. The little girl from Hannah, directed by Joe Wright, also. Yep. And Joe Wright, you can tell, is a director who is knows how to assemble people and continue to work with them. Cause he mm-hmm. did pride and prejudice with Kira Knightley and then went on to do this one. And uh, then Anna Karina. Uh, <laughs> he just did, you know, after this, he, he took on say, or see Rohan to do Hannah, which is, I mean, Hannah is a film I would love to cover at some point. Cause it's a similar film in atonement. I think where Hannah could have been a very traditional film mm-hmm. and it is directed. And that's a film I think that really shows off Joe Wright as a director where he has a way of, he has a very fresh way of looking at cinema. Because Atonement is, in some ways, a very traditional movie. It is not. It is disguised as a traditional movie. Oh, absolutely. It is essentially a sort of, um, clause, it's, from when, when we describe it, it's, yeah, there's, you know, uh, Cecilia, played by Kira Knightley, is a very mm-hmm. wealthy young woman and she has this relationship that she doesn't know what's going on with Robbie, who is the servant's son. And the two of them have grown up together. And on this particular day, you suddenly, they suddenly discover that they are probably madly in love with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what goes on? To, and meanwhile, Cecilia's younger sister is about like 11 years old, uh, Briny, is clearly, you know, um, she is a young writer, a young type A personality who is very eager to grow up and but is not really ready to grow up so something happens that day where essentially and this isn't so much a spoiler because this is in the first this is the crux of the movie um briny can through a series of events uh briny testifies to police that she saw robbie raping her cousin lola uh robbie goes to jail and eventually is in world war ii 
And that's yeah. where, you know, the story kind of continues from there. And it, it kind of goes into three stories. You have Briny, and then Briny grows up and becomes a nurse during the war. You have Cecilia, who also becomes a nurse. And you have Robbie, who is in the war. And so you have these kinds of... Um, the movie kind of moves back and forth in time. It will give you a scene, and then it, the next scene will be six months earlier. And it's, it, it works, you know, upon a couple of viewings. You see why things are put together the way they are. Uh, but it's, it's not hard to follow, and it reads, especially the first time around, like a very traditional film, uh, until you get to the end and discover this is a much more complex story than you realized. Um, but, you know, so you have all these themes of upstairs, downstairs, and you have, you know, class, uh, the differences in class and how Robbie is poor and Cecilia is rich. Um, you have, uh, you have, you get to the war. You have what's a lot of people leave this movie talking about is the way Joe Wright gives you World War II, which we don't get battle scenes by any means. We get um, kind of right in the middle of the movie. We see Robbie in France. Uh, and he's waiting to get shipped back home at, um, what was it called? Dunkirk? Yeah, something like that. Okay. I don't know. And we get this, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to just keep talking so the scene doesn't cry. No, 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 it's fine. I'll talk whenever. I, I But I feel like a lot of what I have to say is in spoiler territory because it, yeah. I, I have a lot of stuff to say in spoiler territory that references back to earlier points in the film. Yep. Um, and I think you probably you know what I mean with that. Movie. Totally. Um, so should we just say we're going to go to the spoilers? Cause I think it's I, just the easiest. I, ha I feel like I have to because it's, it's yeah. So yeah, this, spoilers. Um, yeah. They, I mean, this is a sixth sense like movie in some ways. So hang on. Uh, let me wait. Where's my timer? I got to find this on my <laughs> utilities. Synchronize clock, your watches. Timer. Okay. Um, timer okay. and start. No, wait. Oh, okay. no, 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 wait. That was a, that was a countdown. And stop watch. Okay. okay. And start. <laughs> Okay, okay. spoil away. Do what you got to do. Um, okay. This film is basically, it, it's extraordinarily manipulative. Um, oh, yeah. It's also often told from, for lack of a better term, from the eyes of an unreliable narrator. I feel like this entire movie is told from Byronie's point of view. Um, as early as the fountain scene at the beginning, mm -hmm. you see what she sees first, which is completely out of context and makes no sense. The interaction between Robbie and Cecilia looks aggressive and angry and confused. But when, but then when that scene is replayed from Robbie and Cecilia's point of view, you realize that it's not, that it's, it's taut and tense and filled with unspoken feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, which makes you want to cry and die. And then the same thing happens again a little bit further on in that night when Robbie comes to dinner. Um, you see what what is was one of Cecilia's bobby pins on the floor from Byronie's point of view, and you think, what could have happened? Did, did he did he do something to her? Is you know? Oh, let's pause there and say that the, what facilitated their finally getting together is that Robbie wrote a hysterical <laughs> letter to. <laughs> About how Cecilia. he wants to kiss her wet. My favorite word. <laughs> You're not going to say it? Now it feels dirty to say. Okay. He, he, yes, um, his, my favorite curse word is cunt, and he uses it. So he uses it any to movie that has cunt written like and smacked in like big screen, and, I'm going to love. And let me say that when you, when you first – because when you're presented with um, – Robbie sits down to write Cecilia an apology letter for what happened at the aforementioned fountain. He sits down to write this letter and 
he he types he can't he doesn't know what to say so he types a ridiculous letter about like basically you know hey i want to fuck you Mm -hmm. and 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 i was like oh okay so she you know you know he she gets that letter instead of the actual letter which you kind of know is going to happen byrony actually reads it before giving it to her (laughs) which is important little sister yes which is an important thing but when kira knightley gets the letter like, what would you expect to happen? This blushing flower is going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. But no, the, she doesn't. Yeah. She's totally into it. <laughs> and yeah. that's why I was like, yes. Yeah, because it is. It's a hot summer day. And it's, you know, you're in like 1935. So it's all this repression. It's these mm-hmm. two people who have grown up next to each other mm-hmm. and have and they they talk. Also, you see at one point, um. Celia is like hanging out with her brother who's like, I, you know what? You don't you don't talk to Robbie like I from and you see like, no, she doesn't because she has put up this wall around her. And I mean, what do you do when, when you were younger and you like someone? What did you do? You were either mean to them or you, you ignore them, face them and you ignored them. Yeah. And that's what she has done. And so within this moment of her seeing he wants to fuck her, she's like, yeah, and I want to fuck you in the library yes. right now in my easy access green dress. So. Barney walks in on them and it could, it could look, you don't see how they got in the library. You just see that she walks in on them in the library and who knows now Barney has already read this letter and she has described him to Lola as a sex maniac. So of course I don't think that he's raping her, but, but we don't know. Don't it's know. not, we don't get the full story. And Briny is. So then writer. it's now replayed. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so then it's then replayed and you see in heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Oh God, this is the worst. You see that it's consensual. It's mutual. Mm-hmm. They love each other. They say that they love each other and it's in that moment. Too. And something that I think I really realized um, this time around watching it is that this movie has a lot of really funny moments. Yeah. And it's like, even when, um, he tells her about, he's like, I, I wrote you another letter. It was, uh, it was less, she was like, anatomical. <laughs> and like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of like little chuckle moments in this movie where, because um, so much of this movie depends upon this relationship. Because we get like really like two scenes of this relationship and then a whole movie about how it's not able to happen. And so if that falls flat, then the whole movie does. And the two of them, because there is this, I mean, it's a very, it's a carnal attraction, but it's also sweet. You kind of, you like these, I mean, James McAvoy is complete, immediately you love him because he's just Mm -hmm. this open, fresh-faced young guy and he's charming to briny and you just get the sense that he is a really good guy and that he is, you know, is in love with this beautiful woman and the fact that she's in love with him, you just, you, you love them and you do want them to be together instantly. You look at them together, you're like, they are right together. They are in love they, mm-hmm. yes, they deserve to be together. Um, and that doesn't happen because no. stupid little lying bitch who ruins Because lives. she walks in and they have to, and the sex scene is desperate and frantic and not graphic at all. And it's just so beautiful and sad. And that, I don't think I could re- rewatch this movie knowing how it ends because of that moment is just so fleeting. And to know that that's the only moment, essentially, that I know we're in spoiler territory. I still well, no, don't want to say it. We're totally in spoiler territory. But no that's the only moment they're going to have. Mm-hmm. So basically, the cousins, the, the Lola cousin, and then the two little boys are all staying at this house. And the two little boys run away. So after this beautiful um, 
meeting of minds and bodies and souls in the library is is broken apart. Um, they're they're at dinner and they have to go and look for these boys. They ran away. Um, while they're out, um, Barney comes upon Lola being being raped. Right, and Lola. I'm assuming about it. it I'm assuming it was rape, right? We don't know. You never know in this movie. Because, okay. Um, she seems to be a little bit of a lying bitch, too. Just she, saying. Yeah, she's a little cunt. Uh, you know, she's got the, you know, she's a redhead. Um, but oh, you get, like, right, which is just terrible. Well, I mean, her and just, you know, Bryony does this, too, in a different way. Lola instantly is trying to be more grown up than she is. Yes. Uh, yep. She's talking about, you know, she wears slacks and talks about going to see Hamlet and, and don't talk that way around the children. It, and it should be mentioned that the, the the person who does rape her is not Robbie. It's it's Benedict Cumberbatch, so Sherlock, for anybody who's who cares, which is which is quite amazing. He was very creepy and very it's lecherous in this. And you know, instantly in this movie, his first like the first thing he says is like he gives her a chocolate bar. He's like, you have to bite it, bite it. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. amazing. He's going to rape this kid. He's um, going to rape gonna have her. Have sex with her, but it's going to be rape because she's fifteen. Um, so we never know. We, we, I mean, later on in the movie, uh, you know, and again, we're at this point where we don't know if that's true too. True. You're right in the, I mean, I know it because I've read the book and in the book, (gasps) I'm never going to read the book. I can't, I'll burst in the flames. Yeah. Don't, I don't think you should. I don't think you can handle it. Um, but in the book it is, it is true that they get married because that is what makes her real. Cause that in the book and I mean, kind of in the movie, that's what makes Bryony realize, oh my God, I was definitely wrong and it was this guy oh Um, yeah but in this one you're right we never yeah you can i didn't i mean i assumed that it was but then i feel like the the rug is so um horribly ripped out from underneath me that i didn't know when because you're right when does it stop um Mm -hmm. it's and i can tell you in the book when it it's um in the book, they do have that first meeting at the restaurant, and then when they say goodbye on the bus, that mm-hmm. happens. I assumed that that happened. Which I, um, and I think in the movie you believe that happens because it is it's because it's awkward. They at this point, Robbie has been in jail and then in the war, and he gets to meet Cecilia for thirty minutes at a tea place, <sighs> and you know they sit down and I this scene I mean this scene is so well acted and directed because they. You know, clearly, Cecilia has left her family and severed ties with them after they would not support Robbie. Um, so mm-hmm. she basically has given up her life of luxury to be a nurse and just, you know, keeps writing to Robbie. And that's what's fueling her. Robbie has been in, you know, who knows what he's gone through. And they sit down. And so it's been like, for them, the only thing they've had really is this idea of each other. Mm-hmm. And when they sit down, they don't kiss. They don't sit down and, and embrace and run and get a room. No, they sit down and... She pours tea for him, and they, they can't even quite look at each other because there's a, this awkwardness now of, and he says to her, like, maybe we made too much out of it. Maybe you're throwing your life away for this these five minutes we had in your parents' library, <laughs> and, you know, how real is this? And so it's it still has a nice, that scene still has an ending where when they separate, you know, I think they do realize that they are completely in love with each other. But, and I think that is the end of the, that is the last time they see each other. But I think you could almost, mm-hmm. you could watch this movie and say, we don't even know that that happened because everything mm-hmm. after the um, flash forward well, has all been Bryony's book. That, the, the reason why, the reason why I feel as though I knew that that happened was because I felt like from the first two instances, the fountain in the library, I felt like I knew when it was 
when it was Bryony's okay. manipulation, oh, yes. shall we say, of the situation. Oh, and they um, are because... the soundtrack as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, oh, my God. I mean, the type in. There's this, this right. Oh, I didn't just amazing. realize that. Um, I need to rewatch this, but I don't think I can. <laughs> I had a feeling you'd say that. Um, it's this is I, a movie that benefits so much from rewatch because you see these things, uh, and that is a big thing. Is this okay? So this is again, why I love Joe Wright because the, both visually and from a sound point of view. And I mean, a lot of people talked about the soundtrack in Hannah and how good it was. And yeah. you know, he values every aspect of filmmaking. And in this movie, the soundtrack is you know for the most part a score, but you also get this this typewriter sound in there and it mm-hmm. comes and if you really do watch and pay attention to it so it comes in when she's she's weaving awful lies absolutely. is that when it comes in well, okay yes or when she's writing pretty stories about happily ever after no okay so <laughs> so basically what happens is yes she she grows into i hated the, the little girl i hated her the whole time so, so when she she grows up and she's she's a nurse and um kira knightley at some point says that she feels like she it's her she's taking it on as her penance mm-hmm. for what she did so you go into the whole stuff with with her as the nurse and for a moment, I I made notes on this. I don't have them in front of me, but I made notes. And one of my no- notes was like, I hate Bryony, like big across my notepad. And then I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe this is okay. Maybe she's really atoning for what she did. <laughs> and, um, and she sends um, Cecilia a letter, which Cecilia doesn't answer. So I'm just going to go into it soon now. Um, she goes to see Cecilia and she is, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. This is what I did. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, Celia doesn't live alone. Robbie's there. Robbie's finally back from France. Oh, my God. And he fucking screams at her. And it's the most amazing thing. And, and you just want to, like, hug James McAvoy and be like, it's okay. Because everything's okay now. character, too, has been, up to this point, has been such a nice, I mean, very restrained, not a nice guy, but very restrained and very, um, just, you don't see that coming out of him. You see him as even when he's, um, you know, in war, you imagine he is, yeah, he is a gentleman. Mm-hmm. And so this moment when he just, he does, he just goes off on her and says these things, which she should be saying, which she should hear, but it's things that you never expect to hear him say. Because this this girl single-handedly ruined his life. Because right. as much as she might, I don't think she ever believed that it was him who did it. I, did. I think she convinced herself that, she, that it was him. I and, think at that point, I think she was able to, when she put things together, and the more she said it, the mm-hmm. more she believed it. The more oh, and the more she had, she, she she had she context clues. Yeah herself she created these context clues which is what the library and the fountain was all about she crafted this yep. and we we do find out in, 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 a, in a flashback that she has that she she herself had a crush or was in love with Robbie yeah. that fucking little bitch and so so she's in the apartment and Robbie screams at her because yes she stole his life away. She stole his life away single-handedly, and she said, well, all I can do is tell people what happened and, you know, amend my statement, because now, now, hey, Benedict Cumberbatch is really the one who raped her, but they're married, so, so nothing can happen. matter, right. But so, also, and then she stands up and won't look either of them in the eye and says in this high-pitched voice, I am very sorry for the things that I've done. And it's this, this 
awkward apology that you know she's been rehearsing. Yep. And it means nothing to them because what does it what does it mean that she's sorry? She can't. She, and Robbie says so eloquently because she's like, well, I know I was wrong. It, I, and he's like, oh, so at 14, you didn't know the difference between right and wrong. Right, at 18, now you know, no, because on the battlefield, 18 year olds are getting mm-hmm. getting slaughtered. Yep. Like, exactly. You little. Oh, so. So I don't know, because I'm just going to launch into guess the fuck what? Flash forward. Now, it's Vanessa Redgrave, right? It's Vanessa Redgrave? It's Vanessa Redgrave. Giving one of those, like, I I love these kinds of performances in movies where it's like, you get the one one scene, bring in Peter O'Toole for Troy. Give him that one scene, walk away. (laughs) He just took the fucking movie. Um, Or Mm -hmm. he just showed what acting is. And, I mean, this movie, everybody's everybody's great. But, yeah, Vanessa Redgrave comes in for one scene. Vanessa Redgrave is now, Byrne, grown up. She has written this book. It is her final book, like 20-something something books or something successful novelist now this is her this is her work she's she, she's got like this uh, thing where she can't remember stuff anymore she can't write any more books she, she, this she is gets fine dementia. of uh, ironically she gets dementia which is now now she really can't remember that was a kind fate for her a kind fate so she's like oh this i guess this is this is my last book because i i i wrote it now because i had to write it now or else i would never be able to write it um so basically Everything in this book is true. Everything. Everything happened. Except for that one time I went and apologized to my sister and the man whose life I ruined. That didn't happen because I'm too much of a coward. So they never got to be together. They're both fucking dead. But it wouldn't have mattered anyway because Robbie was dead by that point. Fuck everything about this movie. Robbie died at Dunkirk. Uh, And the movie, I mean, the Dunkirk scenes we haven't talked about is where we see the war. And we mm-hmm. see it's this very, very famous and, I mean, amazingly skillful five-minute tracking shot. That fucking beautiful tracking shot. So gorgeous. And I mean, you Chill. see more things. That the more I mean, That's another scene. It's literally, it's just Robbie walking um, around. And, it, and it's like they, the three, he, it's Robbie and, like, two other mm-hmm. guys, basically, the whole time he's, he's in France. But it's like they kind of swoop in and out yep. of, the, of the shot. And it just, the tracking shot just keeps going, bringing you around, showing you, you know, the whole of this beach. And they just kind of weave in and out of it until you're back, basically, with everybody. And it's, it's, it's amazing. You have a Ferris wheel in the background, and you see dudes Ugh. just hanging on it as it's going around. And you don't quite know why. You have crazy, you have, you know, there's people praying, there's people drinking, there's just, I mean, what, you just see the toll of a war on men who have been through it and are just now waiting to hopefully go home or die. And, I mean, you also have a captain walk by and says, like, yeah, we've been informed. We're not bringing the wounded because there's no room for him. And at this point, you know, you don't know it yet. You know it later that, well, Robbie is mortally wounded and is in, you know, the version we see, basically, he does make it out. And we know this because we see him later on with Celia. But in reality, no, he died there at Dunkirk. And mm-hmm. Vanessa Redgrave, as the older Briney, talks about how she did her research and she found... You know, you get the feeling that she found, you know, the guys who served with him and learned when he died. And as I think so many of the details in until a certain point are as much as she could get. But, yeah, at a certain point, you don't know. She at a certain point, basically what she's saying in in the way that she's chosen to write this book as everything was was real, except when she she explains to us that she gave the the least she could do was give them their happy ending, and that is the most painful and manipulative thing to show us what these people could have had, and then be like, guess what? They didn't. 
Well, it's here. Are you okay? Yes. Okay. It is. It is so terrible, and the fact that she. It is, and, and on, on her part, on the character's part, yeah. it is completely self-serving, and it is completely ridiculous because she rationalizes it by saying, "Well, if you read this book, it's not fulfilling enough. You need they need to have their time, and it's the least she could do is to write them their time." No, but no. I mean, at the same time, it. I, well, I mean, I think it, it's. I think it just it's such a fascinating story. And because you just, what else could she do? You just, it's not the right thing to do, but there was no way she could ever do the right thing. But I don't feel like she even had any sense of what the right thing was. I think think that character is completely irredeemable. To do it back then. And she has known that. And for the next 50 years of her life, she lived knowing she did the wrong thing. A, she did the wrong thing when she was, you know, 12, but that the fact that she never cha- changed it when she could, ha- when it mattered, that she never went to the police when Robbie was still alive, that she never went to Celia even after he was dead, that she could, I mean, she, you know, she couldn't redeem his reputation. She, and she is like, she does torture herself because, you know, from the beginning, you know, Briny is, you know, uh, all she wants to do is be a writer. She wants to write. You get that right from the beginning and then you find out that she had, you know, had a place in Cambridge or Oxford and did not take it. She decided to be a nurse. And she did that because she is punishing herself. She is, she knows that what she wants to do is she wants to be a writer. So going and, and continuing her dream, she like hates herself at this point so much that she can't do that. She's going to be a nurse. And you see, she's not a good nurse. And you know at this point that she's very smart and that she's, you know, was well-educated and you get from her walking around and getting kind of yelled at by her superiors that she's, she's not a good nurse. But she's doing this purely because she feels that, you know, this is one way to make up. And I think that's some, there's something very real about that of if you've done something wrong, you just have that karmatic, you know, well, if I do something right here, you know, that'll make up for it. No, it won't. If you, if you can't fix what you really fix, then, you know, it's not the same and it won't ever be. And it, and it never is for her. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I don't hate her as much as you two. Um, I, because I, I, I think yeah. she does suffer. I think she <laughs> suffers her entire life. And even when she finally is a writer and is probably selling books, she, you, you know by the fact that it's the last thing she does as a thinking woman. She says, I'm losing my words. I'm losing my mind. I know that I can't write anymore. And the last thing, it was finally time. I, I had to... I've, I've, I've been living with this for my entire life and it, I don't think it does make it right, but I had to do something and this is all I could do. And I, there's just something, I don't know, both awful and beautiful about that. I think. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, we read it two different ways because I really, I really felt like it was, it came from a place of complete denial and self pity. And she, she rationalized it. Mm -hmm. And I just, did not I did not appreciate it, but from a film standpoint, it worked really well as atonement the film and not as this character because it's the character I hate. It's well, here's a really I think a scene that if you ever are brave enough to rewatch it, you need to really pay attention to is after um, when she's a nurse and there's you know a battle has happened and a whole bunch of men come in and they're all dying. The the, the French soldier. The, she has to sit with the French soldier yeah. and he's dying. He's dying and you find it out in a pretty gruesome way. 
It's awesome. Um, and she just sits there, and he at this point, I mean, his, bra- his brain is literally falling out of his head. Mm-hmm. And he's just talking to her because he's lonely and dying, and he just, he looks at her and he starts thinking, you don't know how much is he just talking and how much does he think she is, oh, I remember you, I remember your sister, and you used to pick flowers and everything. And at this moment, she's just sitting there and just holding on for her life because she does not know what to do in this moment. She's not good with people. And she just starts to kind of kind of tell a story. She starts to tell him, yes, I remember you. And um, my sister is also a nurse. And yeah, we used to make, oh, I, I used to love visiting you because you had great croissants and, and the butter was the best. And, and I think you, this to me, I think is probably the, either the turning point or like a very key moment where I think she starts to recognize what it means to be a storyteller. And that as much as, you know, she, what she, being a nurse, it, it is for her. It's what she tries to do to, to make peace. But I think it's when she kind of understands that there is something valuable in lying and in weaving a, a fantasy. And I think that's a key scene later. I think when you look back, I think that, that it, I, I don't know if the I thought that was, I thought that was a very powerful scene and yeah. I agree with you. I think that, and maybe if I rewatched it, I would read it a little bit differently. But it is when she is talking at the end, when it's Vanessa Redgrave talking at the end, I feel like the way in which she is speaking about how she has chosen to rewrite their lives is what rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. That she spoke right. about it in such such a, a way that made it feel to me disrespectful that she that she has recreated what they could have had as like penance for what she did and what they didn't have that I was like, I was done with her. I was all set. <laughs> that, that, that's all. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I think it, you can easily say it, it wasn't enough because there was nothing she could ever do. And maybe did she even have the right to do that? Did she have the right to? That's, that's my point. Yeah. I do not think she had the right. I think, I, I think it was disrespectful and she co-opted two people's lives that she ruined single-handedly. Um, and then it ends with, again, something that never happened, them together walking on the beach. And I didn't even see that scene because I was <laughs> I was ugly crying. I was sobbing so hard that all the blood vessels in my face popped. I couldn't breathe. Um, I have not been this wrecked by a movie uh, probably since I watched The Fountain. See, Never Let Me Go doesn't do this to me. Okay. There's something about this. Okay. It, it, what it, what what it is about this, and I will I will try to explain it as clearly as I can. Is it's the fact that I am given something and then it is taken away. Yeah. And never let me go. I'm never given. <laughs> I'm never okay. given anything. And 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 it can't. So it can't be taken away from me. Like things are not perfect when we see Robbie and Cecilia. Robbie is is like ruined, and mm-hmm. Cecilia hates like her family it's not things aren't good but it's very clear to show in that scene even though it's not real they have each other and they have each other what they actually want and basically all robbie has is her because she is the one that can calm him down she is the one that can bring him back and they gave me that they gave me this amazing beautiful relationship that that was everything that it could have been when we saw it in the library and then they were like nope both dead And then, and then I cry. Yeah. So yes, that was. And then the whole next day, I kept thinking about this, and it gave me a stomachache every time I thought about it. I got a stomachache. Oh, so, no. And again, 
behind the curtain. I say to Emily, oh, Kara Knightley show, eh? You pick an atonement. Is is that like sad? I don't really know much about it. So should I not pick Never Let Me Go? Because I don't want to do like a huge bummer show. <laughs> oh, no, it's not really that sad. Did I say that? Maybe I was just trying to... Uh... I think oh, you were trying to manipulate no, me. No, I think I really thought that you knew it was really sad. No. I think, like, no, I I think that was it. Like, I think because even like the fact that James McAvoy was in it, I'm like, I just assumed that you knew it was really sad and no, that you were being all sarcastic. I knew, all I knew about it is that, that Kira Knightley's wearing a green dress at one point and, and that it's really pretty. It's... Yeah, and and all the blah 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 on about sad and storyline and characters. It's it's a gorgeous movie, and there's not not no way around that. Each scene is everything's framed beautifully. There's whole sections where just the way everyone's placed in the shot, it's like art. Yeah, and not it in just, um, it, it's amazing, and not in a, so, a, a deliberate way that feels unnatural or it feels over directed at all. Uh, I think there's a lot of skill in this movie being a period film and being filled with costumes oh, no. of its era, but it feels natural. Did you lose me again? No, you're there. Okay. I, I thought I heard, oh no, but I wasn't sure if it was supporting what I said. Or, oh, no. Oh, no, technology. <laughs> um, oh, I just, I, just like to say things. That I, I really have to mention because I... I don't think I realized it until this time watching it. This is the kind of movie that is, I mean, it's a very, it's a complex script and I forget who, who wrote the script, but it's, it's like I said, it's, it's actually impressively close to the novel, but translated to film so well. Um, but because you have so much going on and it would have been, how easy would it have been to have had Briny narrate this film? There is oh no narration in this film. And that, I think, is such a feat of, of filmmaking and putting this film together. Be- because her point of view is expressed through those, those you know, through the easily misinterpreted and, shots, too. Yeah. Through these shots and through just, mm-hmm. you know, the visuals. And yeah. this, I mean, that's, again, why I really wanted to talk about this movie and, and get more people to see it, is because Ugh. I think this is a great made film. I think Joe Wright has made a, has directed a great film. And yet Mm -hmm. I think it's always going to be um, thought less of because it seems really conventional, but a, the story isn't conventional and you do, but you won't know that until you get to the end. And B, he uses every tool at his disposal to make this story so much more, um, uh, not stylized, just he, he uses, like we said, he uses soundtrack, he uses visuals, he's, and he's not relying on the easy tools like narration to do this. And I think it's so impressive for that. But again, you have to watch this movie the first time kind of not knowing anything. Uh, yeah. you, it's not like... So don't, so don't if, if you're hearing this, then you didn't. <laughs> you didn't. So you're a jerk. But it is, Just it's a movie watch that you, it. Like, you have to be conned by this movie in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's not like, oh, it's a twist ending that, you know, it only works with the twist and it's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie where the twist is the gimmick. It's not a gimmick. It's just that you have to watch this movie and buy into everything so that when you find out uh, that you've been manipulated, A, it hits you that much harder and B, you go back and you realize how well manipulated you were. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so um, <laughs> I was going to say, do you want to do you want to rate it or? Yeah, um, the only other thing I'd say too is how uh, like I and both it's it's fa- well when we get to Never Let Me Go, we have so many similarities 
both like <gasps> totally and thematically and just like can i tell you that never let me go is is was my uh, my coping device for this movie oh my god i can see why though and we'll get we'll get there because i think <laughs> yes but even like the fact that both movies um utilize the child actor into adult character mm -hmm. so skillfully Yep. Um, because I mean, one. I think the only negative thing I'd say about this movie is I think the fact that Briny has the same haircut in all three generations. But that's how you know it's her. But I don't think you need that. I, <laughs> I know. Don't think you need. I agree that. with you. Uh, because I think all three actresses, and especially the the second actress, um, captures the Briny mannerisms and just the. Yes, the, absolutely. Yeah, and this um, this was something the DVD has, um, or the Blu-ray is really worth buying for a because it's a good movie to rewatch. But also, mm. it has a couple of really good special features on it. And there's one where it's all about kind of the making of it. And that's where they kind of bring out, you know, Joe Wright talks in depth about just, you know, the way he wanted the camera for Briny in the beginning versus Celia in the beginning. And when you, this is a movie that you can watch just in terms of the filmmaking and go back and see how, you're right, listen to how the soundtrack changes when we meet Celia versus Briny. And it's not like a blatant, um, like really easy cue it's just with briny everything is very quick and you know she's just you get the feeling that she's just always moving and always thinking and with celia it's much it's a little more laid back and relaxed and dreamy and it's all of those little nuances are i think something you can pull out of this film to see this is a masterfully made film i think mm -hmm. i um, agree all right um so are we ready to grade it yeah sure you go first okay so um first is on quality of the film Mm -hmm. uh, I'm giving it a nine. I think this is a great film. Um, I've I've seen it my third time, and I think <clears throat> it's I it it gets better um, each time because when you know what to look for, and I I'm just so impressed that he doesn't take an easy way out anywhere. Uh, it yeah, I give it a nine. You? Um, I also give it a nine. Okay. Uh, so I I almost want to I almost want to do higher, but. Yeah. I need to, I, I feel like, I feel, yeah, I will watch it again, even though right now I'm saying I won't, I need some time. Mm -hmm. I, I will watch it again, and I, I am absolutely in love with and obsessed with this movie. I think it is really amazing. Um, did you buy it? Do you own, own it now or not? I do not own it, no. Okay. I do not. Just because I, I haven't watched the commentary yet or listened to the commentary yet, but there is a really good, um, it's like an hour to the, uh, the making of on it. And they, they talk a lot about, you know, uh, adapting the book and everything. And it just, I think it just makes you appreciate it even more. I will be purchasing it and probably, like, I purchased a fountain and that's just sitting there. Someday I'll watch that again, too. Yeah. Um, so what, what is your second grade? On qual <laughs> my quality of life improved by it. Um, I'm going to also say nine, just because to me, this is not an easy film to revisit for obvious reasons. But I think this is a film that, um, A, is not boring in the least. There are no, the, I don't think it drags. I think every sequence, I think you're, you're just fascinated by something or another in it. And I think also the film, the watching it and looking for what you should be seeing that you're not seeing and all of those tricks and just really, and listening to it and absorbing all of it, it's, it is a film that I actually rewatch on occasion. And I don't do that for these kinds of films uh, commonly. So I'm going to give it a nine for quality of life. 
You? Nine, nine, nine point five. Wow. It it is it is entered the pantheon um, of things that I'm just continually I have not stopped thinking about this movie since I watched it like and that's that's huge I there's so I watch so many movies that I sometimes forget like what like I think I can think of a scene and I'm like what was that even what movie was that in now this is burned into my brain for eternity yeah and it's I, I mean I really do hope that um, more people see it because I think it, the the fact that it masquerades as as a typical movie because I'm sure when it came out, it was nominated for Oscars. I'm sure everybody just kind of lumped it as, okay, so that's the British one. And it is such a better movie than that. And it's mm-hmm. just, yeah. I know I did that. Special. Yeah. I think on the last on the last episode when we said we were covering this, I said I got it from Netflix probably back in like 2009. <laughs> and it sat, it sat on my entertainment center. I never watched it, yeah. And, it, and I sent it back because I was like, ugh. I'm kind of glad. I'm kind of glad that I am who I am now and I'm the film viewer that I am now. And I watched it now because this is, it's a very unique and it's very rare that, that I've come across something that completely surprises me and takes hold of me like that. So I think everybody needs to see it. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, so why don't we take a break so I can restart Skype in case it's slowing down? I don't know if it is. Mm-hmm. And we're going to come back and talk about Never Let Me Go. We're back again for the manyth time that you don't know about because our editing is that good. <laughs> <laughs> and Emily's suddenly French. You missed it. <laughs> it's all because of Craig Wassall. 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 He just changed everything for me. Uh, so now we're going to talk about a little movie that Christine picked <laughs> called Never Let Me Go. It is called Never Let Me Go. Why did you pick um, this movie, Christine? I picked this movie. Um, well, there was... It was like I, I mentioned it last week or last episode that I was really torn, and um, I'm I'm as well as this paired with Atonement, and I'm, I know we'll talk about that. I think it paired very well with Atonement, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, I kind of wish I had picked a dangerous method. Huh? Why is that? Um, because I I feel like Atonement belonged to um, James McAvoy and Joe Wright. And I kind of feel like Carrie Mulligan owns Never Let Me Go. Um, and I really enjoy Knightley's performance in um, A Dangerous Method. She's great in that. I, I, I feel like that. her performance is very um, daring and she commits to it. Mm-hmm. And she is never embarrassed. And she's right. nev- she never seems self-conscious in that performance. That being said, I picked this movie just because I flat out love it. Yeah. Um, whether she Knightley was in it or not, I think I would have loved it no matter what. Um, and I just really wanted to talk about it with you because I feel like this is something that we've kind of danced around for a while. Um, it's funny you say about um, Knightley in this movie. It's it's not her movie, and I actually think that's something I really like about her performance in it. Again, and I'm jumping ahead, but we'll, I'll jump back. I promise. But is that? Um, she, in, in both movies, really, she is by no means the star of either movie. Mm-hmm. And in this one especially, she is playing a very unlikable character and is, doesn't have the plum role in this film by any means. And I, I like that about her because she could very easily be picking much more commercial roles, and she's not. Just she goes for interesting movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so to give a synopsis about this movie, and now we talked about this a little bit, this is Never Let Me Go is a tricky movie 
because it doesn't rely on a secret the way atonement does by any means but there is a small twist very early in the film that if you go into it not knowing it it might change the way you watch the first like 20 minutes however on the other hand you're gonna probably figure out the twist within the first you know possibly two minutes of the movie anyway so we are not gonna hold back on I mean we're not gonna give away the ending of this film but we're not gonna hold back on the nature of if anybody said oh don't don't watch the trailer or something we are gonna talk about this movie so um before we say that, know that both of us recommend it. So if you want to mm-hmm. turn us off and come back next time, you can do that. We won't be offended. But um, do it because you're going to pause it and then watch it. Uh, Never Let Me Go and then come back to us. So that being said, uh, Never Let Me Go is the... St- uh, we learn within the first opening text that in the 1950s, um, technology got great. And they've been able to man men. I think that's really what it said. It, it said it's like technology, like is awesome 1950s again. colon technology got great, and people were, and then you're like, oh, okay, well this this, this I know exactly really what this happy movie. movie. <laughs> uh, basically, technology has improved. Human beings are living well into their hundreds now. Uh, many diseases have been wiped away, and we don't know yet, but we figure out if we're smart on our own or because the movie will eventually tell us. Um, that the way this has happened is that much like many a sci-fi story, uh, they are now growing kind of clone communities of, of human beings who are essentially just spare parts. Mm-hmm. And the way this movie approaches it is we, we start with this private school, what we think is a private school called Halisham. And it seems like a very elite place where all the kids wear uniforms and are very, you know, well, and we very there's certain hints that are dropped that are just that kind of give it away. The first dialogue in the film, after a little bit of of narration by Kathy, our lead, is that you know we found cigarettes on school grounds. You can't smoke. You have to take care of your bodies. And we eventually learn it's because they are bodies to be given to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know we focus. The movie is seen through the point of view of Kathy, played by as an adult Carrie Mulligan. Mm-hmm. And Kathy's, you know, just a, a nice little girl. And her best friend is Ruth, who is, you know, kind of a mean girl, but, you know, her best friend. And also in this school is a boy named Tommy who has kind of anger problems. And also it's something that's very valued at the school is creativity and artistic talent. And everybody should be athletic and they should be able to draw and write poetry. And Tommy is not good at these things and doesn't feel comfortable with any of these things. And acts out a lot. And eventually a new teacher comes and she kind of tells him, you don't need to be good at these things. Everybody keeps saying you have to, but they're lying to you. You don't need to. And that's when we learn, because she also tells the kids, you, you realize what your life is. Your life is that you're being, you know, raised just to give your bodies up for other people. And those people are going to live and you're not. And so then we eventually flash forward. Meanwhile, you understand, you know, Kathy and Tommy, they're about, what, 11, I think, in this movie? Yeah, I'd say so. And, you know, they're, they're friends. There's clearly, you know, a, a connection there, but they're very young. Um, and then kind of on a dime, Ruth, who has been very mean to Tommy at this point, kind of oh, claims no him. interest in him whatsoever. No interest whatsoever. Yeah. And then one day just kind of claims him as her own. We flash forward to they're all 18 now. They're adults. They're mm-hmm. leaving there. And Ruth and Tommy are now a couple. Kathy is kind of still in the mix. And then we learn what happens as you go from there if your life is a donor, is what they call them. 
Um, mm-hmm. So that's, I guess, I think the the rough plot of this movie, based on a also based on a, a very good novel by a guy whose name I can't pronounce because it's Japanese and also another novel that I have I have not read. Um, I recommend it. It's no this the again this is a movie where um, I watched like was one extra on the DVD that's just kind of about the making of it and everything. And it's another movie where the script of this movie is written by Alex Garland, who did Sunshine and The Beach and 28 Days Later mm-hmm. with Danny yeah. Um And apparently, because Alex Garland is also a novelist, and he really liked this author, Kazuro something. Um, um, Ishiguro, I believe is the last name. Okay. Like, I think they had kind of worked back when Ishiguro was still, like, I just finished the draft. He actually showed it to Alex Garland as a friend to say, like, hey, this is my novel. And Alex Garland was like, if you make a movie of this, I want to help you with it because it's great. And then eventually they did. And um, so it's it's also, it's faithful, but the, the novel is much, de- Atonement's a kind of a sparse novel in some ways, whereas um, this book is much denser and there's a lot more uh, within the politics of it and everything else. Um, was that you? I'm mm-hmm. super choppy. Wow. Okay, so that is kind of just the backstory of it. Why don't we take a quick break and I'll call back. Uh, so that was a smooth transition into the next part of our discussion. Uh, about, a, what, 45 minutes went by, something like that, but you, you know not <laughs> you, these things. Yes, you do not know that this happened. Exactly. So we were talking about the book was made into a movie, uh, screenplay written by Alex Garland, Directed by a guy named Mark something. Uh, Romantic? Yes. Now, in, now, like I said, there's a lot of connections between this movie and Atonement. Including yes, the fact are. that it is the second feature film for both directors. Yes. Uh, this guy is primarily known as a music video director. Uh, a wonderful one at that. I used to love his works. See, I know nothing about music. If what, Did he do, like, anything really famous that I yeah, know of? Yeah, I know he did. I'm going to um, Google it right now. Because when I was young, I used to, when an MTV show music videos, that's showing my age. <laughs> I used, you are ancient. I used to um, be obsessed with who directs certain music videos. I'm sure I'm not the only one, because they used to sh- show it at the bottom. It used to be, like, you know... Um, who did you have a little credit reel i mean and, considering like david and, fincher was one of them it's exactly and done well for themselves a lot of oh, yes um he directed um that terrible well i guess it's not a terrible video but the video for michael and janet jackson's scream i'm oh, sure you okay i know it just because of glee also um the uh video for closer nine inch nails and probably my favorite is the David Bowie video for Jump, They Say. I don't know if you remember that song. I but I don't, song. No. Yeah, um, I really used to like him a lot, so. It's, I mean, oh, what's interesting. He, he served as second assistant director for Brian De Palma on home movies. Ah, I didn't know that. Nice. So there you go. I automatically love him way more than I ever did. What's funny is this, I mean, obviously a lot of music video directors have gone on to make films. <laughs> and I think it's interesting now, because once I said David Fincher, I'm like, you know, both of them are in... Because this movie is not what you would think of a music video director going on to direct because it's not strikingly visual on one hand. On the other hand, uh, its visuals are actually really amazing in a really subtle... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Color-wise, too. Just, yeah, it, very deliberate choices of color and composition. Yeah, 
Um, what do you mean by color? Because I know how I feel about the visuals, but I'm curious what... what... Wait, well, what do you mean by color? <laughs> oh, no, 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 just um, in terms of... Give me examples. I feel like there's a deliberate tone, and by and, and tone I mean that in the, in the sense of colors, that everything is in the similar hues. I don't want to say it's monochromatic, because it's not. It's just, it seems like... In in much like how I was I was saying in, in um, atonement, certain scenes seem to be constructed based around where people are standing, right. and where maybe objects appear in the frame. This seems to be composed a lot of times around colors. I feel like mm-hmm. colors often set the tone of the scene. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, and 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 that struck me. This is the second time I've seen this. It struck me this time more than the first time. Yeah, I didn't notice. I was not looking at anything but the actors. I think the first time I watched it, I didn't think of this as an overly visual film because it's it's very subtle in what in how it does that. Um, but watching it this time, what I noticed was what's not there because there is nothing. You really are focused on these three people and you know where they go and and everything. But every you know, there's very rarely is there anything on the walls. And mm-hmm. even in, in a bedroom, it's just really a bed and a clock. And all of those things are so specific because, you know, these characters are alive for 25 years and then they're dead. And they, they don't, you know, they accumulate a few objects and those objects are passed on. And, you know, we see Kira Knightley's uh, child character holding, you know, a toy as a child. And we see it again later. And because there are so few things, we, we, do, we remember all of these things of, of their life, mm-hmm. which just visually is a very subtle way of, of kind of establishing this world and what these characters have versus what they don't have. Uh, the kids look, this is a brilliant case of casting. Holy crap. What, did they did they find a way to go back in time and cast Carrie Mulligan to play herself? It's creepy. What it's is with really that? Creepy. I I can't. I'm trying to think of other examples of like movies where it's that blatant. I, I can't think of any. It's it was it's insane. It, it's scary and not just and like what's what's amazing because you have to imagine like casting for this. They were looking for kids, obviously, because I believe unlike I think with Atonement, I think they cast Sayorsi Ronan first and mm-hmm. then went by her of okay, well we need to. You know, obviously the girl playing her as a teenager has to have really blue eyes. You know? Yeah. Whereas with this film, I think it was all the adults were signed on first. And then they found children who not only looked scarily like their adult counterparts, but are also really good little actors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The little, Absolutely. The little Carrie Mulligan. Because, I mean, Carrie Mulligan is a, like going to easily... Like the you know her and Jennifer Lawrence are going to be the best actresses of their generation. Oh, absolutely, um, without a doubt. And the thing about Carrie Mulligan is she has the kind of presence that you just you always want to kind of hug her. Mm-hmm. She just she has these really like sad brown eyes, and and that's why to not to cut you off, but what like we were talking about with Keira Knightley, why the casting in this is so good because Keira Knightley does come off inherently cold, mm-hmm. but. Carrie Mulligan comes off as just really lovable and warm and you want to make sure she's okay and take care of her. Yeah, yeah. She is a very good understated actress. I think she Mm -hmm. is, for somebody who's really young, because she, I don't know how she'll, because she made this right after an education and she was only, I think, like 23, 24 when she did that. So she's young. Yeah. And that she knows how to reel it in and just, she can say a lot with her eyes, and she's mm-hmm. a very good facial actress who does not 
overstep what, what doesn't need to be overstepped. But then mm-hmm. to not only have that, but to have a like 12 year old kid who can do the same thing is it's, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. yeah. And th- that says a lot about um, Mark, whatever his last name is. I don't know why. I've I, believe, I believe it's you pronounce it. Um, it's either Romanic or, or Romanic. I don't know how to say it, but it's one of those. <laughs> I'm really bad with pronouncing. The only other film he did was um, One Hour Photo, which I didn't see. Did you? Yeah, I, I did. I don't really, I mean, I know I enjoyed it. It's been a really long time since I saw it. Um, I think I saw it. I got, got it on DVD right after it um, It came out. Yeah, I mean, now I'll watch it at some point just because I'm curious to see it. Because this, this also, I mean, I Atonement is a very brilliantly directed film. This also, there's a lot of decisions and things in the execution that is done handled so well mm-hmm. that feels really mature from it for a director. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's, it's very impressive that it's his second film. And mostly what he did prior to this was music videos where that, that is, you can, I'm sure drop comparisons, but it, the nature of them is very different from this type of film. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Um, so the kids are great. And then as adults, you have Kira Knightley playing a, again, a, a cold kind of bull bitch. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, and we will, I'm sure we will get to it, but not really. Yeah. I will just somebody who's really needy. Somebody who. Somebody who was a selfish child, but unlike our last film, grew up and realized that she had been a selfish child and wanted to fix it. Right, and tries to fix it when there's still time. And that, I mean, that's, we'll, we'll get to the idea of there's still time because that's kind of, I think, the theme <clears throat> of the film in some ways. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think, and Andrew Garfield uh, grows into the role of Tommy as, as an adult. And this was, I guess, the first thing I saw him in. I, it might have been... Was he on an episode of Law and Order SVU that I don't know about? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I hate clicking around on the interwebs when we're when we're doing this, but I am I'm looking him up. I don't I have not really seen Andrew Garfield in a lot. I um I saw him in that one social network. Mm-hmm. I think no, he actually Oh no he's he actually isn't in that much stuff. I didn't realize that. I saw him in the Red Riding trilogy first. Okay. Actually, I saw him in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus first, but I do not remember him in that. Is because that I... the uh, Dustin Hoffman, Natalie Portman one? No, 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 no. That, that, that's, I can't remember. I know what you're talking about. Uh, this, is, this is the Heath Ledger final film that they had to... Oh, right. Ter- uh, it's uh, Terry Gilliam? Yeah. Um, Gilliam? Gilliam? I don't know. I, I, I can't talk too much about Terry Gilliam because I get into trouble because I really don't like him as a director. Me neither. Oh, really? Did I know no. this? Did we talk about I don't, this? I, maybe not. I've never, I don't have any. I like 12 thing. Monkeys and that's it. And I, I, I know many of our, you know, certainly our movie internet fan mm-hmm. friends are big fans of Time Bandits and Brazil. Oh, Brazil gives me a headache. I, I like Time Bandits as a movie. I don't, I've never, I never thought of it as like a well-directed movie. Yeah. I don't, maybe that's just me showing showing my uh, my my green like oh i don't know what a well-directed movie is but well, i just not brazil i'll tell you that i, I, I don't like I, I actively i know i know i think i did know that yeah and i know like for i know like, we have friends who it's like it's their number one and i'm like yeah mm-hmm. fuck that movie but anyway um <laughs> yeah mark r as i'll call him now is, okay. is no terry gilliam and i mean that as a compliment um so the 
Right, so I forgot how we got there, but Andrew Garfield is yeah. great in this movie as well. Oh my gosh. Because yes. he, because this film, there are no heroes in this film by any means. Mm-hmm. And they're all, all three of them are very kind of damaged kids in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think him especially, it's this, it's, he's so frustrated as a character. And you see that in him as a kid when he has these kinds of, they keep, they call him rages just when he kind of um, can't express himself and just kind of screams and has these fits. And you see that while he has ma- grown up and managed to subdue that, that that's still inside of him, which is why he has this, this awkwardness that he plays really well in this. I yeah. think. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. He, it, it um, the thing that that shows for me that that Andrew Garfield is an amazing actor is because I can watch something like Spider-Man like literally days before I watched this again and be like it's not even the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it didn't even feel like the same the same individual playing the role. Like so that just as much as I might have negative things to say about Spider-Man, it doesn't extend to him because he was just playing a role in a film I didn't really care for whereas in this he's he's like he's owning that character. Yeah. And it's it's really very endearing, mm-hmm. I must say. He's he's very um, easy to align yourself with in this. Yeah, you you, yeah. Just, you feel for him because it. Oh it's, yeah. And you know this is um, the I think some of the criticism that gets lodged against this movie is that it's depressing. <laughs> um, not any more so than a tone. Oh well, it's well. I mean, <laughs> you know, Sophie's Choice is less depressing <laughs> in some ways. But I think I think the reverse of this film, yes, it is a it's not an upper because it's essentially mm-hmm. about these people who are raised to live fairly drab lives and then uh, are not valued by any means and are dead generally by the time they're thirty. But I think this this movie is surprisingly uplifting. I agree with you. That's yeah. that's really bizarre that you feel that way because as I said at coming off of atonement and going into this, I felt like this was very cathartic and I I this film ended and it doesn't end happily. That's not a spoiler just to say it doesn't end happily, but it doesn't necessarily have this joyous ending where everything works out, but I I I shed a few tears. Yeah. I wiped them away and I felt better. It, it leaves <laughs> you with something really positive. It yes. leaves you with, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but it's ultimately the theme of the film, is that, well, maybe there's not a lot of time, but you make make the most of what time you have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, you, and, you, and might it's, only, you might die by the time you're 27 and not have been able to do all these things that other people get to do, but if you make the most of it and form the relationships mm-hmm. you need to, you know, you can die and it's worth it. Because if somebody lives to be 100 and they didn't have what you had in that, you know, year of life, then, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. you win, yeah. Because the, the Mulligan character has this, the way that she chooses to handle the situation rather than be angry and resentful towards those people who she's giving her organs to, she basically just says, you know, we're, we're not that dissimilar where yeah. we are all the same and no one has enough time no matter what no right. one no one's ever gonna I mean if you could the moment before you die if you knew you were gonna die I'm sure most people wouldn't be like yeah I had enough time I'm good mm-hmm. like it's just the, 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 the nature of life and to bring it back to that at the end rather than have it be this like 
I hate these people that, you know, I'm giving my life. It's the acceptance is not bleak. And I, and I liked that a lot. And I think, again, that's some of the criticism people have is they, you watch this film and you, you know, it doesn't cross my mind, but I can understand why it crosses others of, well, why don't they try to run away? Why don't they, you know, why isn't this a Michael Bay movie where they get off the island and find for the real Scarlett Johansson? Because it's not, you know, it's not that world, it's, you know? It's not about that. It's, mm-hmm. this movie is, it's, um, the science fiction element of it is really just there to tell a really human story. Mm-hmm. And it makes for a fascinating background because then you can, you can draw up plenty of metaphors and analogies for what else it could be saying. Um, but I, and another thing, the smartest thing the movie does, I think, is that it doesn't ever feel like a future. It feels like, if anything, it all feels like the past because it is set in the past, just mm-hmm. an alternate past. And so you don't have this distance of expecting things to go differently because it's, you know, there's lasers or anything. You don't need lasers yeah. in this movie. It's, it's all about the people. And that's why that is all you're watching and you don't need any frills or fancy cars or anything mm-hmm. um it as i say this i realize it kind of i didn't think of this but i think if i had to like program a let's say i was um teaching a class if you will in the university of emily that nobody should ever go to uh no i want to where do i apply <laughs> you um then I have to figure out how to set up a website that's complicated. All right, well, you know, never mind that. It's too much work. But I think, like, I would show this film on the same bill or in the same week as Children of Men in some ways. Mm-hmm. I because could see that. They handle science fiction the same way, where it's it's just kind of a suggestion that if science continued, but within this world, uh, so you don't have anything overly distracting or futuristic, and as a result, it feels much more set in the past than anything else. And it's, mm-hmm. it lets you be more about the humanity of it because you're focused on the people handling themselves in a world that you've lived through or no others have lived through. Um, I, one thing that I um, really enjoyed about this is that there are definitely two, and I don't know if it's the same in the book, but there are definitely two worlds that exist, like the world of the donors and the world of, everyone else and you never see the other world you, yeah you get so glimpses you, you get the glimpses that the but it's get. it's never it's never like presented to you as like this is everyone else's life and this is theirs you only know their life and where that is very evident is um i know we didn't go too heavy into like what happens after but um there's a point later you had mentioned it earlier about them doing art um, as children, they're encouraged to do art, and there's something called the gallery, where they take the best poetry and art, and Carrie Mulligan and Andrew Garfield get it into their heads that if they go to the curator of this gallery, basically, mm-hmm. that they can prove that their their love is real, and they can they can get their like their donations put off so that they can yeah, be their together. Their deferral. Yeah. Their deferral. So. It, it, but in that moment, they, they think that it's so that they can see into their souls, quote unquote, to see if they're truly in love. They can use this art to see into their souls. And the woman who was the, um, I guess, the director of the, the, the school or the academy. Charlotte Rampling, were, no less. Yes, Charlotte Rampling. Um, she says, you know, it wasn't to see into your souls. It was to see if you had souls. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, mm-hmm. 
you I never it never even entered my head that these these people basically these clones didn't have souls because I've just lived there with them for right. the past and you, hour. You've seen them and, cry and and be mean to each other and be nice and to each other and they're act just as human beings do. They're just people, and to think that there could be this disconnect in this world where you, where where others wouldn't know if they had souls is just mind-boggling and the, the, that single line mm-hmm. completely created that world for me and it's and then and then it really came back like the way other people look at them like almost with like fear and pity we'll go back to the an er, the early scene the first scene where they interact with somebody from the outside kind of is when they're um they do this thing called a, a tag sale where mm-hmm. you know when the kids are good like every month there is this where you save up the tokens that you assume you you know we assume you get them for being good you get a, a token and you you add them up and then they they do this sale where these men come with these boxes of toys of junk things. of junk and it's yeah you can buy you can buy things but and yeah a that scene is heartbreaking when you look at what they get which is broken toys with broken arms and yeah. uh, discarded you know cassette tapes and mm-hmm. you know just you know t-shirts and it's just it's the crap that you throw out at a yard sale and like some, so you figure somebody is donating stuff or, and then this is what these kids get and they're so excited about it. And this scene, what's really touching about that though, is when the men, there's these two old guys who are bringing the boxes in and the kids run over to them to be like, Oh, you know, what's in there? What's in there? And like, there's one man that just won't look at them. He just Mm -hmm. takes up a box and just does not make eye contact. And the other guy kind of looks at them and he's kind of smiling at the kids. And then, you just you can see in his face the realization of this this exactly this discomfort of yeah there's toys and he's looking around at them and you you don't quite know what he's thinking at that point and you you know you, you don't because nobody ever says it but he's looking at them and you're probably thinking he's wondering are they real does he feel bad for them does he mm-hmm. is he afraid of them like he like he's almost afraid to pity them as children because the second he assigns that title to them just children then what then they're doing you know, when this man, because again, we don't know the politics of who gets the organs. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Yeah, I, I it, like that that never gets introduced. Yeah, and it's the other thing we learn too, because at one point as adults, they do go into like, I forget what they call it. They call it like the outside or something. Mm-hmm. Because when they turn 18, they're sent away from their school, but they're sent to these, they call them the cottages, yep. you know, where they're still living alone and just they're waiting there until they get called to donate. And, and they have to check in. There's those little bracelets, yeah. which I didn't heavily notice as much the first the time. time around, yeah. yeah. And it's again, it's never, it's never said, oh, I have to be back in an hour. Otherwise they'll come for me. No, it's just, they have bracelets and they're always wearing these things. Mm-hmm. And anytime somebody goes in or out a door, you see them, you know, click and check in. And, you know, you assume there's a whole system of if they don't do it, somebody comes looking for them. Yeah. They're you know, very accepting. They're and they're accepting of it. And yeah. nobody's going to try to get away. And we also see that, you know, one of the things they do in school is they learn how to talk to the outside how, world, like how, how to, to act, or yeah. And then they, they all go to do it. And it's actually a, a funny scene, but it's heartbreaking. <laughs> you know, they go and they sit down to order breakfast and the three of them have no idea how to speak to a waitress because they've never had to do it. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, you get like a cut or two of another diner looking at them and kind of, you know, you, you can see it at that point, how people don't want to acknowledge the existence of them. Um, mm-hmm. Because why would you? Why would you want to face up to the person who's being raised to die and make your life better? It, and it, I don't think it's a far stretch to think that the reason why they're kept away 
is is for just as much to keep make sure that they're in one place and they're you know kept track of as much as it is just keep them away from the people that don't want to face up to that this is where their organs are coming from which and i mean you they don't uh, want them to be real people right because it's much easier and it's you can make certainly analogies of it being the same Mm -hmm. as it being you know you know black people in in a ghetto and the same the same idea of just you know shuffling them off and keeping them away Mm -hmm. um but there's also the you know we find out where they're cloned from which is always you know I guess whoever ends up in the hospital or whoever, you know, needs a couple of bucks and donates their genes to science. And they're the only real curiosity any of them seem to have is who did I come from? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, they go looking cause Kira Knightley's character, they tell her, we think we found you, they call it the original and they go looking for her. And it's, you know, we, do, you get the feeling that even if this, this was Kira Knightley's, uh, you know, basis for cloning, they, would, they wouldn't be able to speak to them. They'd have no idea what to say. Mm-hmm. But it's just that they, they all do have that, it's that one shred of curiosity they have of, you know, well, who, who am I based on? Because they, they have no parents. They have no, they're all raised in a boarding school. They have no last names. They have a last initial. Uh, it means nothing. Um, and the other thing, too, is their school, Halashem, is, you know, very different from the other places where this is done. And... You get the sense that Halisham is kind of seems like the Ivy League of donor academies, and everybody kind of speaks about these kids as if oh, like they were they were privileged, they grew, you know, they they had different uh, uh, educations, I guess. And then you know, you also find out that yeah, it's because they were kind of an experiment. Um, and Charlotte Rampling says, you know, we we still believed that you know we were still ethical about it, and we thought, and you. you it's not quite gone into detail is whether or not mm-hmm. it was them trying to prove to the people who were ordering this that, look, these are real people that you're doing well, this to. Well, because, because she said she they were trying to answer a question that no one had asked. And, and, like, and, no, and one no one seemed wanted to, to answer to. Exactly. No one wanted to know because then it's a whole thing. Like, and I, I thought that was really, really, really well done and subtle enough to be effective in how just depressing yeah. <laughs> an idea it is. Like, again, like I said, the, to even question that these individuals would, would have a soul or not is just like, I can't, couldn't even comprehend because they're just such real mm-hmm. individuals. It just was crazy to me. It's, it's, it's tragic, but then, you know, you redeem it by the fact that it has an uplifting message. It does. It does. It does. Yeah. Um, Um, (laughs) another touch that gets added in there is again, we don't go too deeply into the process of, of donations, but we see what it is. It's, you know, somebody needs a, um, you know, a liver, I guess, and they take it from you. There's, uh, you know, a shot at one point in a hospital where you just see one guy limping by on crutches with one leg and it's not lingered on and Again, it's very restrained as to what he shows, and he doesn't have to show that much because mm-hmm. you see that you see another patient with one eye, and you know, and Andrew Garfield's character—you don't quite know what he has and what he doesn't have, but you know, you see that he has scars and that he's hurting, and it's just—it yep. establishes the world without having it, to exploit it's it because he, it is shown completely from their perspectives, yep. and they wouldn't linger on a person with one leg; they wouldn't. T- 
talk at length about what organs got taken out. So to add any of that would be for our benefit. And it wouldn't. Yeah, and we don't need it. Wouldn't, it doesn't exist in that world. Like, like it's very much the way things are. And they don't, they, they only question it beyond, like, is there a way in the system that we can get a deferral? Right, it's, it's never not, like, let's run away. Be, let's. Right. It's not, can we run away? And it's not even like, oh, we don't have to be donors if we're in love. No, it's just we get a couple of years together. We, we just want some more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And let's lot. talk about the more time. Um, this is and this is why this I projected a lot of what I was feeling about atonement onto this movie. Yeah. Um, oh, they're such good companions. There's there is a point where they are reunited. Um, the three characters are reunited after not seeing each other. I guess uh, Carrie Mulligan said like ten years or something, um, unprompted and without any reasoning except what she's dealt with for the last ten years. The um, Kira Knightley character says Ruth says. Um, I want you guys to forgive me. I'm, I kept you apart. I, I took away the time that you had. You, you belong together and not me and Rob. Um, I almost called him Robbie. See, see what I'm doing? I'm, so, I'm projecting so hard. I'm so, I'm, I'm just projecting so hard. And she, they, they don't ask for that. They don't, they're not crying about the time that they didn't have together. I'm sure that they, they're both upset about it, but she, Ruth just offers that up. And she wants to make it right. She's like, I want to get you this deferral. I want to help you get this deferral. I've I've got the address of where you need to go. I did my research. I did this for you. About this, and 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 that is like these people, these two characters have this chance to have what these other two characters didn't. Right, and there's something because of the actions of of the of the person responsible. There's something too that I, I don't think I got until this viewing of it is how it also does give Ruth something in life. Oh, yeah. She she let, she just does, she doesn't care if the deferral, like, um, what's her face? Carrie Mulligan. What is her name in this movie? Kathy, I can't. Kathy, Kathy. Okay, Kathy, Kathy tells her. All she says is, hey, Ruth, you got the address right. That's it. Yeah. And, and that's it, literally. And Kira Knightley is just gone. And that's all she wanted. She, this is what she felt like she had to do for them. Right. And I mean, Kira Knightley, her, her character also is, you know, when we meet her again, she's through donations and she doesn't have much time. And Ugh. so, yeah, it's, it's that reverse of when her time was running out, she made something, she made her life kind of worthy in some way of, okay, well, this is the one thing I can do before, before I go. Mm-hmm. And they, they did get time together. Um, yeah, it, and again, it's not much, Kathy but as Kathy Robbie, says, yeah. it was it was more time than some people have, and it exactly it's more time than Robbie and Cecilia had. It's more time than they, than they had. I really, I really, I projected so much but it, onto this. It is. It's it's funny how when we kind of picked the show, I kept thinking to myself like, oh, it's you know, there, there's what an interesting ma- mashup because you know both both movies I think are really movies that kind of probably benefit from a rewatch and both are kind of about a character fucking up and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the effects of, obviously about a character thwarting true love, if you will, mm-hmm. and how they play out so differently. Absolutely. And, and one of them is just devastating and the other one... It ends up being really uplifting because there's good... And you can argue that in Atonement, you know, some good is made of it because that's what she tries to do. But really, you know, it, 
it doesn't make it any better. Um, Maybe I'll feel differently about that when I rewatch it. But yes, from where I sit, mm -hmm. it didn't do any good. <laughs> yeah, but this film, I mean, I found um, when I watched it this time, I, I teared up a tad. But the first time I watched this movie, I was I was bawling. And I'm, pr I'm pretty sure I was, too. Yeah. Um, but I was crying, but I felt so good about it. I didn't it wasn't a sad cry. It was a Wally cry or an E.T. cry where at oh, the yeah, end of it, I felt like this was, um, you know, I feel better about myself having watched this movie because I feel like it gave me something. Yeah, about I didn't feel heavy. Like my, I, I, my eyes watered up. I brushed some tears away. I went, <laughs> but I, the end of atonement was like, <laughs> like I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do that breathe. again. No, I won't do that yeah. again. Like, like, could not, like, it, it, it was different. That was, like, a gutted, you've ruined my life cry. And this was more like a, like a, oh, bittersweet sadness. Oh, God. Like that. But, yeah. <laughs> um, so, it was a perfect pairing, I mm -hmm. think. Do you want to hear some more similarities between the two films? Um, yes. Okay, so they were both the second feature film for their director. Mm-hmm. Uh, both are very faithful adaptations of British books written in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. um, both, as we said, are about uh, true love being thwarted by one decision by an by a angry woman. Mm -hmm. uh, both had uh, were very reliant on child actors trans uh, not forming, trans uh, changing into trans changing trans changing into adult <laughs> Changer. Uh -huh. um, both are very you you might say can be spoiled very easily in some ways mm -hmm. although really yep. more so atonement than this one both make me cry yes both uh co-star Kira Knightley really in the secondary mm -hmm. role I agree with the co-starring it's strange that we picked co-starring roles yeah yeah and again and really it's kind of Kira Knightley does not on one hand she's you know a little bitchy in both yeah, and she kind of plays the she switches roles in this one and takes on the uh, what wait what, what I, I description stupid little lying bitch who ruins. I didn't think I thought she was when 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 atonement started I was like okay girl from Hannah I'm aligned with you the second it started I just immediately was like I am not gonna like the Kira Knightley character and I am going to align with the, and it immediately switched um, I was Team Kira the entire time. Yeah, you know it is. You, you can get on her side, but she doesn't make it easy for you, which is fine, because she doesn't... She, if her character is supposed to have a posh British accent and come off as kind of a bitch... Exactly. She commits she, to that, and she doesn't it was, try to make herself likable in a role. I feel like, Kira, as far as the character of Cecilia goes, she was acting... Cecilia was acting, not just Kara Knightley. Like, right. Cecilia had, you know, airs to put on. She had a certain of her class and everything thing else. to, yeah. yeah to, but when she was with, with Robbie, it wasn't like that. And she, and she discarded it quickly once her family, that's, I think, yeah, so I think she was wonderful. There's also, here's another um, tenuous link. If Andrew Garfield just got his act together, every one of the leads in this movie would have been in a film with Michael Fassbender. Damn it. <laughs> Damn you, Andrew Garfield. Carrie Mulligan in Drive. No, no Carrie Mulligan in Shame. In Shame. Keira Knightley in A Dangerous Method. And James McAvoy in X-Men First Class. And apparently there's another connection. Carrie, as I said, Carrie Mulligan was in Pride and Prejudice, which I haven't seen, but now I kind of yes. have to. See, um, look at that. So, yeah, it's, it's a little incestuous how connected these two movies are. I, have, um, I definitely have a core grouping of actors that I really enjoy, and they all seem to work with each other all the time, which is amazing. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, this movie, I think the um, everything about it's really top notch. Yeah. Uh, something else that's really awesome is again, I don't know if you have the DVD. It has some really neat extras. Uh, a very good making of kind of very similar to Atonements actually, where it's discussion <laughs> with the author and with the writer and with the actors, and it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a one extra that's all Tommy's art, which we didn't talk about, but much like oh no. Tommy yeah. is an artist in, or not? He's not an artist, rather. But at I some mean, point, I guess in later in life you could later call in him. life he he starts making art, and it becomes kind of crucial to the plot. Mm-hmm. And one of the extras on the DVD is just like a slideshow of all of the stuff they put together for this character. Oh, that's kind of neat. Yeah, and then uh, there's another one that's actually even cooler. That um, it's all. And I don't know that they that it's. I didn't see them in the movie. I'm curious if I I missed things in there. But it's essentially like propaganda posters and pamphlets for the like national donor program. Mm-hmm. It's like a, you know, it's very like Soviet era where there's a a poster oh, that's healthy child really neat. that says like you know healthy kids eat their vegetables. You know, national donor program, and it's just all about like volunteer for the national donor program or you know you can make a difference and 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 be healthy, don't smoke. All these like different posters that are supposed to kind of, I guess. You know, as if, if in that, you know, I don't know what they use them for in, in terms of the film. Um, but that they did that, I think, is very interesting. And it is definitely the mark of a, a visual filmmaker who mm. wanted to establish things. I'm very interested to see that. It's, that sounds really cool. Um, they were talking about on the one of the making ofs how one of the ways they were re- they rehearsed with the child actors is they would do scenes where they took like the young Tommy and put him in a scene with um, Carrie Mulligan and mm-hmm. then, and kind of like kept rotating it around so that they all kind of got a feel for oh, that's really neat. As kids and adults. And I mean, I think it totally pays off in the film because the kids are marvelous and the transition transition. That's the word I was looking for. Ah. For some reason, my seventh grade <laughs> vocabulary couldn't grab hold of. <laughs> it happens sometimes. I can't, I, I lose words sometimes. I, I'm I just struggling. I might have dementia. I might flailing. Because no. I really, no, but I really lose words. I do too, but usually it's when I'm tired. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's like <laughs> almost 11 p.m. on a Friday, so bedtime, get to bed. We, we get are to way bed. Past that, but <laughs> seriously. Um, so, do you have any more to say about Never Let Me Go? I don't think so. I basically all I wanted to say was about how it helped me deal with my. I'm glad it did. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend the book. It's, uh, you know, like I said, if you were interested in the world, I am. Then it's worth reading. I think in some ways the movie is um, much more concerned with the emotion of it, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the movie is much more about these characters, and the, I think the love story is actually more um, important to the film than it is to the book. If memory mm-hmm. serves, just because, and I mean, the love story in this movie, like Atonement, is, it's not that it's chase, it's that there's so little time, and that there's an awkwardness to it, that I think is done really well, where these, these two characters, are, you know, they kind of remember that they're in love, but they have so little time, and at this point, you know, one of their bodies is, is, is yeah. empty, and so, you know, they're holding hands, but it's not this natural closeness that they have. Um, which is, you know, true for both films. And, you know, the, the book I feel like in some ways is just a little bit colder about the love story. 
Um, but it's it's a very fascinating read. And it goes more into a lot about this world and a lot about the... And again, it's not telling you who gets their organs and, and all the history of it. But it's, you know, you learn a little more about the world that way. So it's <laughs> definitely a good read if you want to kind of enhance the uh, universe of the film. Well, I just bought a Kindle Fire, so... Uh, hey! <laughs> <laughs> so I might have to um, look into that. Although I do prefer paper books, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just it. all right. So why don't you give your rating for this movie? I, uh, at the risk of just handing out huge high ratings, let's watch something crappy for once. I am going to give this, um, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to give it an 8.5. Okay. Yeah. It, um, Yeah. It, it it's great. I mean, I feel like um, it's not, for me, as rewatchable as something like Atonement or even something else that I would give an 8.5 to, but I have seen it twice now, and I enjoyed it both times, so I guess maybe I'm wrong in that feeling, but I stick by my 8.5. I'm giving it an 8.75. All right, well, there you go. So you are right in your feelings, except you're off mm-hmm. by 0.25. All right, and for my my um, quality of life, I'm also going to give it an eight eight point five. I mean, I, I need to be boring, but I'm giving it an eight point seven five for quality. Yeah, they're, they're really good movies. Yeah, and this film, I think too, there's something um, very emotionally uh, touching and life affirming about this movie, and it mm-hmm. kind of, in some ways, like a movie that I'd compare it to in terms of how it makes me feel is Wings of Desire. Which oh, is, which, yeah. It's a, it's a Wings of Desire is a, is a more flawed film, I think, than I thought the first time around. But there's something about the like the the emotional pull of that movie mm-hmm. that just makes me feel a way that other movies don't make me feel. And I think this movie has that packs that punch. I think Atonement's I, a better film. Um, in terms of filmmaking, I think Atonement is just is a masterful film. But mm-hmm. I think this one just does. You again. It is as well made a film of this story, I think, as you can tell, and it takes me, I think, emotionally to a very special place. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So we had a little bit of feedback. We're not going to quite read through all of it because, especially with um, the internet hating me the way it does today. Yes, this has turned into. Um, it might not sound like a long affair to you, but this has turned into quite a a huge thing on this end. So yeah, um, I really pee soon. Oh, gosh. Um, I can bring up the email as well. Do you okay, want it? Did you? I, I, yeah, I have them. Because so, I don't want to use my internet. I copy and pasted them. So I have them. Okay. Uh, so we'll, we'll just, we're just going to, um, for everybody, we, we love feedback. And please send it. We might not read through every email, like, word for word. Um, and as, as we said last time, a Facebook group is a great way to tell us stuff and interact. Yes, it is. So do, you should do that. Um, so I'll, we're just going to kind of skim through the ones we've, we've got. So we got one from Sean, who um, I thought was, like, gone. I feel like I haven't heard from Sean in a long time. But he, mm-hmm. I think, has a new site. So extremefilmaddict.blogspot.com. Sean basically just wrote to tell us that he had very his expectations for us were stratospheric um, and that we met them. Um, he used a lot of caps to say awesome and that we were insightful, on topic, witty, and most of all, hilarious and fun. Um, so keep up the great work. Also, thank you, Sean, from Chicago. That's really the nicest. Thank yeah, you. I, yeah, all of you made me feel really good. 
Yeah. Um, thank you. We really appreciate it because hopefully it doesn't sound that bad, but we, we, we don't know what we're doing. We don't. No, we don't. <laughs> Not at all. Ah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, we got one from Scott from Married with Clickers fame. Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. If you don't listen to Married with Clickers, you should. It's a husband and wife podcast where they talk about the most random of movies. I have, but I don't keep up on any podcasts anymore, and I'm a jerk, so sorry. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been better about it since my commute got longer, because I can actually listen to more of them now. But I've also been reading more, so then I don't. Uh, me too, them. yeah. Yeah, reading is great. Takes up time, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you should check out Married with Clickers. You should. And um, Scott also gave us some happy feedback that made us feel very good. Um, but then he made a couple of points. Which is, because I talked about 13 Ghosts, and Emily, did you like Margaret Hamilton's little nod and a, and a wink to The Wizard of Oz and 13 Ghosts? I don't think I saw it. I saw 13 Ghosts, but I missed the um, homage to Wizard of Oz, and I'm sad about now it. Now you need to watch now 13 Ghosts. Now I need to rewatch it, so I will. Uh, he supports us in saying Allie Larder does absolutely nothing. I get, I, and us, you, I like Allie Larder. I don't get it. In Heroes, I liked her in Heroes, and I liked her in that movie with Idris Elba. Well, Obsessed. That's because it was Idris Elba. Oh, Idris. I Idris, Idris. I say Idris. I don't care. I also call him husband. So <laughs> whatever, whatever works. Um, for me, he'll always be Stringer Bell. I still haven't watched The Wire. I, Everybody. I don't mean to be that person that's like you haven't watched the best show. Every, time, you you should watch Luther. Why don't you just watch Luther and then talk to me about him? Because he at least gets to be British in that show. Yeah, but he gets to be a Maryland gangster. I prefer I prefer him British. You say that until you see him in action. Okay, all right, all right, fair enough. Um, <laughs> what what else does Scott say? He says that he's looking forward to us covering Jack and Kangaroo Jack. We talked about Kangaroo Jack, did we not? I don't no think feature. that I'm ever gonna do that. I but thank you, Scott. Jack. I will never watch Jack again. But I would watch Kangaroo. I've never seen. Hey, Jack Scott. Jack. Thanks, but no. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, he spoke a little bit about Peggy Sue uh, and mentioned that it's something we didn't talk about, but that the age gap between Cage and Turner really stood out. Um, mm, yeah. But, yeah. Um, he talked about revisiting it. I think he did revisit it because I think he talked about it on his podcast. I can't mm, remember what well, he said about it, though. But everybody should go to Married with Clickers and find out what he thought about yeah, it. Yeah. And then tell us what he said. Because <laughs> I, yeah. The other thing, too. I still haven't finished Show Show Spooktacular, and we're basically at the end of November, and I have not finished it, which is unheard of for me. You know what your problem is? You're not listening in double speed like I am. I can't. I can't listen in double oh my speed. God. My ears aren't that fast. Okay, the new podcast app, Podcast Crap, which I hate the podcast app, however, it has an option where you can listen in triple speed. I don't think I could handle that. I'm, I'm thinking I might do it for like a podcast where people talk slow, mm-hmm. but I don't know what that one would be yet. Maybe we should start. Yeah, yeah sure. Like, that's going to happen. <laughs> um, and then the uh, other written feedback we got was from Thomas Duke from CinemaGonzoBlogspot.com, um, who really enjoyed the conversation, although he agrees with me that the party scene kind of slows things down. Second time, I swear it's different. Okay, I, I believe you. And right. perhaps I will rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, he brings up My So-Called Life and that he started watching it because his high school teacher recommended it. Did we talk about My So-Called Life? Yeah, because we were talking about... Oh, oh I don't remember anything. We were, we, um, Claire, no. Somehow we were talking... We talked about My So-Called Life and how it was, like, the definitive 
thing of, um, like, that's how you know we were, we grew up in the 90s. I don't even remember what I ate for breakfast today. That's normally me. I know, I don't know. But I take your word for it, and I'm sure I said wonderful things. No, because it's awesome. Uh, and then he also recommended an obscure movie from 1959 called The Lonely Sex that has a similar plot to The Collector, where a creepy dude kidnaps a girl and keeps her in a shack. Uh, Low-budget exploitation movie, so it didn't have to deal with the ratings board. Ooh, which means it's probably really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you know what I mean. Um, there's also Tattoo, a collector ripoff with an extra twitchy Bruce Stern, and an interesting but not entirely successful gender reversal of The Collector, directed by Robert Altman, called That Cold Day in the Park. Which I will watch the hell out of. I have... Um, are you a big Altman fan? Yes, and I also like gender reversals. Okay. Uh, um, I want to address in this email that apparently I said, um, X Games sect <laughs> instead of set. Um, like they were a coven. I meant to say, I meant to say we're sect. We're talking about triple X when Christine yeah. had her, um, glorious like, argument well, just, for how it is a urban bond, right? I, yeah, I said it's an urban bond for the X Games. Apparently, I said a word. Who knows what word that was? You can't listen back. It's not forever trapped on audio. That's it. <laughs> Thank you for the feedback. Thank you very much. Um, by the way, that reminded me. Did you see that they made a sequel to The Collector? Not the one we reviewed, but... Yeah, the- yeah, The Collection. But, like, I am so confused. They screened it at Fantastic Fest. Why is that coming out in the theaters? I don't know, man. I thought I didn't think people liked it, but I just saw I saw a commercial for it at work. Activity, the movie with Alicia Cuthbert. Like the collector was, I was just like a torture, you know, kind of torture porn horror movie. Well, there, there, the commercial I saw for it was like the new face of American horror. Yeah, because I guess American horror is a new face. I don't know. I am like baffled. Like, did I miss something? Because I remember when the movie came out. And I, I saw it eventually on video, and I was like, ah, you know, that wasn't terrible, but it was just kind of a mediocre. I still haven't seen it. It's not, I mean, I'm not recommending it by any means, but I'm just so amazed that they are <laughs> releasing this sequel in the theaters as if people have been waiting for it. With, like, advertisements for it on, like, actual networks. I don't get it. I know. Like, are people waiting for this? Tell us, if, if somebody's like, oh, man, I'm so happy the collection finally came out, let me know, because I'm just curious who you are out there. Yeah, let me know. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> next time, yeah. Uh, well, eventually there's going to be some. Did you listen to the last episode of uh, Gentleman's Gun? No, I'm still listening to the Spooktacular from okay, um, October. It, it was. Uh, <laughs> I'm so kind. Well, it, it was teased that we will be doing a combo show with them. Um, to which they asked, they um, wanted to make sure that we're taking our pills because there's going to be some cross pollination going on. What does that mean? That means what you think it means, sister. I don't, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, so that's going to happen eventually, but we'll wait to tease what movies those will be, because um, I can't remember the title of one, and we don't know when we're recording that. But it'll be soon. Yeah, it'll happen. Uh, in the meantime, after a rather downer of a week this week. Mm-hmm. We're going the exact opposite. Extreme going, opposite. We're going the happy people route. Mm-hmm. And I really, at first, I'm like, maybe we should watch, like, Elf or something that has, like, nothing mean or negative in it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but instead, we're going for some happy stuff. All right. What did you pick, Emily? Um, so this time I picked it because I, this is one of my favorite, um, easily one of my favorite movies from childhood. And it's currently on Instawatch, so it makes your life easy, listeners. And it is 1980, 80, what year was it? 84? No. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I was just looking at it. Okay, uh, mid-1980s 
the best movie ever based on a board game to be made. Clue. Clue. Yay. So when I know Emily loves Clue. Um, Clue. When Emily says Clue, for some reason my brain screams high anxiety. So um, 1977's High Anxiety is my pick. Uh, Really not tenuously linked at all. They're very similar. (laughs) They're very similar. But I look forward to it. They do. Maybe more than one. I have to look. But, um, yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, that's what I think when I hear Clue. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, now, we also didn't... Do you have a Netflix instant watch pick? I do! I do! It's so weird. I haven't watched anything on, on uh, Netflix through streaming for, like, the entire month, which is so weird for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I watched something actually last night that I thought was very good. It is called The Whistleblower. And I believe it is from 2010, and it stars Rachel Weisz. Oh, okay. I remember I, this movie coming out. She's like, un, like one of my favorite working um, actresses. I don't, I, did she do an American accent or no? I do not care for her American accent. It just, it just um, doesn't sound Wait, does she? Yeah, she does. She does. And she's okay um, with it? I, yeah, I, I thought she was great. It's about um, human trafficking. Um, in Bosnia, and it's actually like amazing. And I, there's a few scenes in it where she gave me chills. I just think she's spectacular. I, and yeah, it's, like this is really funny. Do you know who's in this movie? Both Vanessa Redgrave and Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> Weird, right? I, I thought that was say so- Madeline Kahn. No, and ben- Benedict um, does an American accent. I've never heard him do an American accent before, and it was very uncomfortable. You have I didn't to like bite it. it. You have to bite it, Lola. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, that's my recommend. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it's not an easy watch, but it's definitely interesting. Okay, um, I'm going to go with a movie that came back on Instant Watch. Because uh, you said human trafficking, so it made me think of this movie. Uh, and it was a, um, it's a found footage horror movie that I thought that blew me away. That was so much better than I thought it would be. And it's Megan is Missing. Oh, okay. I think I've seen that. Not seen it, not like with my eyes. I mean, go ba- go by on the scroll. Right, of- it was one. Of, it probably pops up a lot on your like recommendations. Yeah, I think so. And it, I mean, on surface, looks like another found footage horror movie, uh, and it can be really annoying to watch because it's about fourteen year old girls using like Skype and stuff. And mm-hmm. the first twenty minutes are kind of painful because it's these awful fourteen year old girls like drinking and and talking about boys, and it's really painful. But then it turns, and it's both really scary. Um, and very disturbing and just really surprisingly good for what the kind of movie it is. Um, and again, it's just another movie that's so much better than it seemed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, not an upper by any means. Don't watch it if you're like, a moment was sad. I need to watch something that's going to make me happy. No, uh, nothing will, will nothing will ever make me happy from that. <laughs> um, I'm going to start sending you like shirtless pictures of James McAvoy. Maybe that'll help you. No, I, actually, that's currently my wallpaper. It's a picture from Wanted. I'm such a dork. <laughs> and on that note... All right, folks. Well, um, oh, and we had a, a Justin the Cinemascus sent us in an audio file, but I haven't figured out how to play those and have them heard yet, so we're going to... Sorry, Justin. Sorry, Justin, but thank you. We'll hold on to that. Uh, if you would like to reach us in the meantime, best place to do so? Um, Facebook. Facebook group. <laughs> The group, um, ask to join it and we'll tell you yes. Uh, you can also email us at thefeminincritique at yahoo.com. We also have a tweeter that we both use. Um, when we, yeah, just to. just search Feminine Critique. I think it's like at Feminine Podcast because I couldn't mm-hmm. get anything else. But um, we're there. And you can also follow me on Twitter at ParaXTeen and Emily is Deadly Dolls. All of those things are true except for one. 
And what? I'm going to let... No, none of them are. I just like to play with Oh. <laughs> I thought I fucked something up. No, it, was all, it sounded good to me. Okay. All right, folks. Well, we hope you had a happy Thanksgiving weekend. Of course, by the time I release this, it will probably... This, it'll be Christmas. <laughs> yeah, if we make it that far. <laughs> it's 2012, girl. 2012. Uh, whatever. It's supposed to happen. It's all right, good. but be happy and um, make the most of your time. Right? Because it's never enough. It's never enough, but you make the most of it. <laughs> yeah. And whatever you do, um, stay away from stupid, lying little bitches who ruin lives. Yeah. Fucking bitch. Have a good night. <laughs> Bye. You're a nightly power. <sighs>